imagination that makes them feel special while drawing them deeper and deeper into the bowels of El Diablo. Observe the previously unobservable. I'm attacking the darkness! <laughs> <laughs> Anyone can play. I don't really know the rules. <laughs> Listen, there aren't any rules. It's a game of the imagination. Oh, okay. This is your character sheet. Your name is Titania. I don't know what any of this stuff means. I'll help you. I'm the dungeon master. I control worlds, universes. Okay, you guys can talk to each other now if you want. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of DC Roleplaying, the Hero Points Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me is my co-host, the Honorable Siskoid from Siskoid's Blog of Geekery. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I've had a long 10-month rest. <laughs> I feel refreshed. <laughs> you should. You should. Ten months is a long time. <laughs> yes, folks. Uh, it's been a long, long, long time since we've produced an episode of the Hero Points podcast. And to be fair, it's entirely Cisco's fault. Um, he pushed and he said he wouldn't do it. He refused. He had all this list of demands and things. And Well, I'm in a different time zone. Well, there's that. So, and so, so time doesn't move at the same rate as it does in the U.S., he wanted us to get Gary Gygax as a, as a guest, and I'm like, it's not going to happen. Anyway, truth be told, it was all me. I, I insisted on not recording the next episode of Hero Points until I had completely read, cover to cover, the uh, the object of gorgeousness that we're going to be covering tonight. So I sincerely apologize, folks. But welcome back to, the, to another episode where we are celebrating all the incarnations of the DC role-playing games. Kind of the... The mission statement, if you will, of our podcast is we want to cover the role-playing games from a nostalgic point of view, not a technical point of view. This is not going to be a game mechanics podcast. All that stuff's out there. You can find that. Those are great podcasts, but that's not who we are. Myself, personally, I'm pretty much a lapsed gamer. I haven't really gamed in a while, except, check this out, check this out, since the last time we we, uh, recorded together, Yeah, I actually gathered some friends together, got a group of four people. And we started a Mayfair Games 2nd Edition, actually technically 3rd Edition, 3rd Edition role-playing group. Wow. Yeah. How did, how did it go? Went two whole sessions. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the first session was, right? Character generation? Yep. Surprised that didn't kill it right there, because that is the number one killer of all role-playing groups, is the character generation night. And then Especially we had... in superhero games. Yeah. Superhero games are, character generation is so fun. Just by itself, it's its own thing. Just creating superheroes, your own heroes, and sometimes it just it just doesn't move on from there. Well, a lot of times, what it is is people are building their characters, but they don't know what the numbers mean. And so when they come to play, they they just they don't even want to do it because they're like, I don't even know what we were doing last time. Anyway, so we did do one night of playing, and it it just fizzled out. So shame. But the other night, my fourteen year old stepson came to me and asked me to role play Star Wars with him. So I was like, huh? okay. So quickly grabbed all the books and threw them together character. We role-played Star Wars, so we might be doing more of that. So. Yeah, you, you got to pass the torch or the flamethrower. What, 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 what do they use? Oh, lightsabers? Right. <laughs> I have to pass the lightsaber. That's exactly yeah. right. Um, I'm not a lapsed gamer, uh, except that those 10 months when we didn't record another podcast, yeah. uh, it was pretty much 10 months of not gaming. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was- So it's, it's, it's not all on you. I, I've had a busy schedule as well. Well, we're glad to be back in the saddle, folks. Uh, today, we are about to cover 
one of well, I don't even, I don't even know if I want to say one of probably the most beloved role playing source book of any DC system, and that's the Atlas of the DC Universe from Mayfair Games Second Edition. This book is awesome. Woo-hoo. Everybody loves this book. Whether you're a role player or just a comics fan, everyone loves this book. And we're going to tell you why in just a little bit. Before we get rolling, though, I just want to say, folks, if you are going to be on the social medias and want to chat with us or chat about the podcast or anything along those lines, please use the hashtag pound. FW Podcast. That's Pound FW Podcast. You can also visit our Tumblr where we'll have some images from the Atlas, which is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can shoot us an email, which, believe me, you folks had no trouble finding, as you'll find out when we get to the listener feedback section of the show. But it is firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. The Atlas of the DC Universe, man, I am so excited about this. So, since it's all geographical, you know, we're talking about geography. We thought we would use that as our guide when we talk about our sponsor today. And, folks, our spon- the sponsor of the Fire and Water podcast and the family of podcasts within that network is InStock Trades. InStockTrades.com is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Siskoid? Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm proposing Smallville Season 11. There are four trades out. The first one's called The Guardian. Uh, they retail at eight sixty nine. Well, they don't retail at eight sixty nine, but in stock trades will give them to you at eight sixty nine. Season eleven of Smallville follows right follows right out from the um, the TV show, which I never watched. I've never watched even a single episode of that. But the comic, which was a digital first comic, is awesome. Look, guys, if you are not really into the New 52, or you didn't think the New 52 reinvented the DC Universe in a way that appealed to you, this will, this did. Uh, Brian Q. Miller is the uh, the writer, and he's bringing back all sorts of characters and concepts from the DC Universe in his, in his own imagination. And he's got a better Wonder Woman, he's got a better Green Lantern Corps, he's got a better everything. So you got to check that out. Smallville Season 11. Awesome. That sounds cool. Well, I'm going I'm to cover Superman, Dark Knight over Metropolis. So this is reprinting issues from the 1980s. We're talking about Adventures of Superman 466 and 67, Action Comics 653 and 54, Action Comics Annual Number 1. you got folks like John Byrne, Dan Jurgens, Brett Breeding, blah, blah, easy for me to say, Brett Breeding, Art T. Bear, cover by Art Adams. This is great stuff. Yeah, it's the, the storyline where uh, Superman gives Batman the... Um the Kryptonite Ring. Yes, right? yes, yes, it is. Man, I mean, this is great. I love this stuff. So uh, 168 pages, full color, normally goes for $14.99, but with that 42% magic discount going on right now, you can get it for $8.69. Heck of a deal and a steal, folks. So head over to InStockTrades.com, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. So... Atlas of the DC Universe, huh? <laughs> yeah. And who wrote this sucker? Well, uh, it's written by a, the uh, ubiquitous uh, 80s and 90s comic book writer at DC and editor, Paul Kupperberg. And we uh, spoke to Mr. Kupperberg earlier tonight. That's right. Just to give you guys a little bio on him, Paul's been involved with comic books since the mid-70s. He's written hundreds of comics from DC, Archie, Bongo, Charlton, Marvel, and others. He created Arion, Lord of Atlantis, Checkmate, Tachyon. He's also authored dozens of novels and short stories and kids' books. And, uh, in fact, he's still involved today. He's writing, um, well, you know what, he'll tell us in the interview what he's working on. So, without any further ado, let's, uh, let's let Paul take it away. 
Well, Paul, we really appreciate you joining us for this interview. Thank you so much. Sure, no problem. We're going to jump right into it. First question, how did you get involved in writing the Atlas? Like, who contacted you? What attracted you to the project? And how long did it take you to write it? I was contacted by Mayfair Games. I believe I was, well, I was freelance in those days. And uh, this was about 1989 when they, uh, when they contacted me. And, you know, they just got in touch. I don't know if somebody at DC said that I was a good person to write it because of my, you know, encyclopedic knowledge of, of the DCU <laughs> uh, or, or the fact that I could fake it better than, than other people. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they got in touch and asked if I'd be interested. I asked how much they were paying and then said yes. <laughs> All right. Sounds like a good deal. How, how much time did you spend writing it? It was actually a, a very time-consuming project. It took a long time to do. There was a lot of research. And remember, this is 1989. We didn't have what you kids call the Internet in those days. <laughs> um, so, you know, there was a lot of research to do. And, and you know, fortunately, I, I do have or, you know, had a near encyclopedic knowledge of this stuff, you know, certainly from those days before it became too confusing for anybody to understand, especially, obviously, the people writing this stuff. <laughs> fair enough fair enough well what i want to know is you know each town each planet each dimension has a, a rich and a believable history especially the towns which you know don't seem in the comics you you get a little a little bit here a little bit there what resources did you use in those uh, primitive stone age pre-internet times uh, well, to I've compile been... the atlas i went to the cave walls and read the uh, paintings over there <laughs> No, you know, I just went to the books. Fortunately, I had access to the DC library, so I could go and, you know, check things out and Xerox stuff and, and uh, you know, gather a bunch of information. There must have, uh, I, you know, I don't recall there being a lot of resources similar to this that I, that I was able to call on. So I probably, um, uh, you know, I, I went to the books and, and just kind of, you know, extrapolated from there. Uh, most of the history stuff I just made up out of whole cloth from, uh, you know, just out of necessity. You know, nothing about the background. You know, there was never a, um, you know, a story that discussed the, the background history of Ivy Town, you know, or, or whatever. Right. So, um, you know, I just made shit up. <laughs> So were you like were you like a, a history buff that because I mean like like Cisco had said I mean the, the the background about how the cities were settled and the pioneers and all I mean it's amazing stuff did you did you base it on a, like another city maybe you had heard a history of or was just all of it just came pouring out of your head or well I, I am a history buff I do read a lot of history and and you know love to collect obscure knowledge and and worthless facts uh, the kids <laughs> love it and you know so I, I did base a lot of it on on history not you know you know knowing that a place was you know in the vicinity of Illinois or whatever I could kind of you know make make up stuff that was true to the you know to the history of the area, if not true to to reality. It's amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Thank you. Having been marginally involved in other in gaming ventures like this that uh, that were unlicensed products, uh, were you required to to seek approval from various editors for their no. relevant locations? No. No. No, it was pretty much. I mean, I wrote what I wrote. I'm sure Mayfair must have run run it through DC after they, uh, you know, after I turned it in. But 
you know, I don't recall them coming back with any, you know, with any uh, major rewrites and corrections and stuff. Uh, you know, I, I think if there was any problems, it would largely be where, you know, I, I decided that uh, Metropolis was in Delaware. So there might have been discussions about that. But as it wound up, Metropolis was in Delaware, you know, in, in the Atlas. It was largely, you know, I mean, it wasn't an easy job. Again, there was a lot of work and a lot of material to go through and a lot of a lot of stuff to, you know, make up and connect, a lot of dots to connect in something like this. But, but you know, no hassles from D.C. I mean, you know, they were a lot less uh, retentive uh, in those days about these thing, about these types of things. You know, they, they recognized that the, the role-playing games were really a kind of separate universe from, from the comics. Uh, you know, they w didn't want it to be wildly divergent, but at the same time, I don't think anybody was, was you know, getting their panties in a bunch uh, over the details of, you know, the history of, of Star City. <laughs> if anything, it probably created a guide for some editors or writers uh, oh, sure. you know, to follow your stuff. Sure. I, I actually heard from writers uh, and editors in, in subsequent years that they did pull things from, from the Atlas. Nice. I got to tell you, I mean, and I don't know how much the fan, if you've heard much from the fans or not, but this, this book is so highly regarded by the fans. This, I, this, this, like on my shelf, and I'm, I speak for myself certainly, but it's just right next to my who's who. I mean, it's, it's that much yeah. of a resource. Well, I recently uncovered, you know, several copies, spare copies, pulled them out, and I bring them to conventions to, you know, to sell uh, with with other books that I that I sell at these things. And you know, the people who buy them, they literally grab them off the table, and you know, with an "Oh my God!" Um, so <laughs> yeah, I've gotten a kind of, I've gotten a hint of of of, uh, of, of you know, its importance, at least to some people. A lot of folks. I mean, as far as resource goes, I mean, the people who role-played the game absolutely loved it. And then I know a ton of comic fans that never touched the game, but they own this book for that very reason. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, I, got, I, have a, I have a real nerd question for you here, diving into some nerdy stuff. Sure. <laughs> Put on your pocket protector. Now, <laughs> what, what makes you think I'm not wearing it to begin with? <laughs> now, certain, certain entries contain a lot of, like, unresolved subplot stuff. Now, I'm just going to give you an example. I'm not actually asking you about this particular city, but just out of way of example, the Central City entry has stuff about, like, Mounds View is, is a location. And in there, it's, it leaves some dangling subplots. And I was wondering, when, when you set up stuff like that, again, not specifically Central City, but when you set up dangling subplots in the Atlas, were you setting up future comic book stories, or were you using existing stories, or were you actually setting up role-playing adventure hooks? I was probably using existing stories. I'm sure I wasn't setting up uh, role-playing books because, you know, I know this is one of the, the upcoming questions, but I have never played uh, a, an RPG in my life. <laughs> I have no desire to. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't know what was needed and, and, and how to set it up. So um, I was probably picking up existing threads and, and, you know, just working them in because, frankly, in a lot of these things, I needed something to write about. You know? mm -hmm. There were a lot of things that was like, Oh my God! What do I say about you know Coast City? What what do I say about Central City? You know, it's a city. Yeah, I can describe the history, and I can, you know, point out Coast City and and Central City were 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 probably better developed than a lot of the other cities in in the DCU in those days, just because they were major. Uh, you know, there were major characters, and and uh, you know there were writers like Carrie Bates or whatever who paid attention to this type of stuff and and actually gave cities some identity in neighborhoods 
but yeah, I was just I was just winging it. <laughs> I, I had a lot of words to, to write, you know. I was just grabbing at anything. So if you weren't really interested in the role playing angle, I, I don't imagine you uh, worked on any of the statistics for the characters. No, uh, I, I'm, I'm yeah. looking at them right now, and I have no freaking clue what any of that stuff means. <laughs> Well, did you ever suggest or like describe characters so that they could be statted up, or was that all in Mayfair's uh, camp? That was all in Mayfair's camp. I was just I, I was co uh, contracted to write the um, you know just to write the, the the text and all the all the stats and and all that stuff were, were added up. after. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of the cities, did you it's write like the? the, no, the like, go ahead. I'm sorry, Paul. Wrote a Star Trek novella for uh, this uh, uh, Star Trek franchise called uh, Special Corps, uh, uh, Starfleet Corps of Engineers. You know, my, ex my experience with Star Trek was watching the original series when it was on and maybe, you know, a couple of years of the reruns after in, in the 60s and early 70s, maybe seeing, you know, three or four episodes total of anything that followed the, the original series. So after I was finished writing the novella, I handed it to Bob Greenberger, who is a friend and, and also a... a uh, you know, deeply into the Star Trek universe and has written many novels. And I said, could you please read through this and add Star Trek? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was what went on in this. I, I handed them the manuscript and they added RPG. Interesting. Okay. I love those SCE books. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. They're nice. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with it. Well, we asked you if you're a history geek so, or buff. Are you, uh, are you a geography geek? Like, did you play a role in designing any of the maps or tell people no. what the different sections of town should be? Not really. I mean, whatever I described in the in the text, uh, that's uh, this was the, the maps were created by Rand McNally, uh, mm. who were and still are, I imagine, uh, you know, some of the most prominent map makers in, in the world. Again, that was totally on them. Wow, I did not know because that's not mentioned anywhere in the credits. That's really interesting. I believe it is. Is it? Maybe I missed it. Yeah, here we go. Copyright by Rand McNally and Company. Oh, okay. I did not see that. Yeah. Look at me, blind as a bat. Look at that. I guess huh. some of the some of the major, you know, the the, the major maps were, were were done by Rand McNally. That's and really I cool. Assume this the the individual cities were as well, but I remember they made a big deal of it at the time. You know, they were they were they were uh, geeked out over that. <laughs> I bet it's a new revenue stream for them, probably. You know, yeah. <laughs> fake maps. Huh? So the 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 million dollar question and the one i've seen discussed over and over on um, on various platforms is how you decided where to place those big cities like metropolis in delaware or gotham in new jersey uh, how did you come to those decisions that was a really a case of gotham and and metropolis are are both new york city you know but they can't yeah. both be exist where new york city exists so we had to put them in that proximity. You know, everybody knows they're, they're East Coast cities. You know, so I just kind of looked at a map and thought, well, you know, where would be a logical place? Okay, you know, Metropolis is, uh, you know, seemed to fit in Delaware. And, you know, Gotham City is, is dark and horrible. So naturally it had to go in New Jersey. <laughs> I'm from New York, so I'm... Uh, a little biased there, huh? Not, not terribly much, but, you know, <laughs> to New Jersey... I have, actually. <laughs> well, then, I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'm sure we're going to hear about that from our listeners. <laughs> if they can't take a joke. So you mentioned you wrote the cities and the histories and all that. Did you do, like, there's, there's some interesting subsequent sections on, like, businesses in the DC universe. And yeah. was that all you as well? 
Oh, uh, that was mine from the books for the most part. I mean, I'm sure 95% of that stuff, uh, I doubt if I made up very many. Uh, you know, there was always, there was the big belly burger or whatever. You know, there were all those, there were all those things were, um, were existing in the, um, you know, in the comics. So I, I probably, uh, again, you know, this is, this is, you know, 25 years ago. It's, it's hard to remember exactly, but I probably, you know, either went through the comics or sat down with some of the editors and said, you know, okay, what do you got that, you know, that fits into to this category? And, but again, I read everything that, that DC was publishing in those days. I likely, you know, even if I didn't remember off the top of my head, I likely knew that there was, you know, this place or that place that I could, that I could pull on. I'm looking here, I see independent TV stations. You know, those, those I would have pulled directly from the books. Uh, syndicated TV shows, that was all coming from things that were mentioned in, in the comics. So, yeah, the, the ball teams, I probably made up a lot of the team names, but... Yeah, here's a fictional baseball team, you know, the New York Mets. So, <laughs> absolutely, they can't be real. Come on, I mean, right, right. Most of this comes from the books. <laughs> in truth, it was a major pain in the ass, and I wasn't paid nearly enough for the amount of work that went into it. Uh, it was just, it, I mean, you know, you, 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 you're obviously very familiar with it. It was a massive undertaking. It was, um, you know, I remember sitting at my desk, which was piled high with, you know, tons of research and just having to move through every scrap of paper and looking for this, that, and the other thing. It, it was really, it, it was, um, it, 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 it's kind of like childbirth, you know. I, I always assume that, you know, women forget how horrible childbirth is. Otherwise, no one would ever have a second child. <laughs> um, my and, wife says the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, this is one of those projects that I'm sure if I actually remembered the pain, I would never accept another freelance gig in my life. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a lot of work. It, it was, um, I mean, ultimately rewarding. You know, it's something that people remember. And uh, it did lead to, I did do another uh, RPG uh, thing for, um, for Mayfair. I did a Doom Patrol module, Mission to the Moon or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the type of it was the type of project that if they came to me with another one, if they come to me and said, "Would you like to write the Marvel Atlas to the you know the Atlas of the Marvel Universe?" I would have said, "We've got to talk." So. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> we you talked about other freelance gigs. So what 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 projects are you working on now? See, uh, immediately I just got a uh, a plot for a Bart Simpson story approved. Uh, I'm doing, uh, I just wrote a script for, uh, for Moonstone Comics for a, uh, Kolchak, the Night Stalker and the Phoenix crossover mm. story we've got coming up on, on July 16th is the death of Archie storyline in life with Archie. That's, that's going to be, uh, hopefully make some noise when it, when it finally comes out. Oh, it's, it's been making noise in the headlines already. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm also, I'm also involved in, uh, something called the Charlton Arrow. Which is a uh, a new comic book fanzine kind of thing that grew out of a, a Facebook group. Uh, there was a bunch of you know somebody started a, a Facebook page dedicated to uh, Charlton Comics, where I got my start writing in comics. I sold my first stories to them in mm-hmm. 1975, and you know somebody said as a joke because a lot of people I was in it and and Joe Staten and Nick Cuddy and a few other people who had worked for Charlton, and somebody jokingly said. Wow, with all this talent here, we ought to do a, a, a new Charlton comic. 
and I volunteered to write for it if they did it. And son of a gun, they did it. So the second issue just came out. Uh, wow. Yeah. Is yeah. this uh, is this the original characters, or are they are new characters, or it's some? It's some original characters. You know, a lot of the characters are naturally, um, you know, owned by DC now, and you can't really, and we can't use them. But there's a lot of public domain stuff, and we've been, uh, you know, we've been doing stories. I've written. I wrote a couple of stories based on some of the Western characters. One, the Cheyenne Kid that Rick Burchett is drawing. The other is uh, Kid Montana, we're, we're looking for an artist for. I did a, a story that's kind of a sequel to the first story I ever sold to Charlton. It was a sword and sorcery thing that uh, Mike Zeck drew. Mm. He was a newbie, too, in those days. And, and Neil Volks is, is illustrating that. And I did. Uh, I had a, a story in the first issue that was drawn by my pal Rick Stacy, which is which is kind of kind of the the Charlton character, this Charlton superhero characters. Although we don't really show them and use their names, but it's it's sort of my response to to Watchmen. Um, oh, uh, but in ten pages. So <laughs> impressive. Yes, and uh, you know, people who are interested, they can find it at morttodd.com slash arrow that's m-o-r-t-t-o-d-d dot com slash arrow and uh, you know they can order it, it it's uh, 6.99 plus shipping and uh, it's a lot of fun you know we've got we've got in addition to myself john byrne contributed a, a pinup to the first issue and second issue has uh, stories by steve skates and frank mclaughlin and roger mckenzie and gary cato there's uh, howard bender and sandy carruthers and there's uh, a, a pat boyette story an unpublished Pat Boyette story that's that's running. So there's a lot of cool people involved. My my mouth is sitting here hanging open, just like, oh, that sounds so cool. It is. It, it actually is. It's a lot of fun. You know, we're we're all in this. You know, I was at a um, a convention in Kansas City a few months ago, and I went to say hello to Rick Burchett at his table, and we were talking. And after a few minutes, he goes, "So, like, who do I have to kill to to, to do something for this Charlton Arrow?" <laughs> and I said. You know, we're not. Nobody's getting paid. He said, "Oh, I don't care. I just want to do a Cheyenne Kid story." <laughs> and I said, "Done. I'll write it." And so I, I wrote the script, and he's got it. And hopefully, it'll be in the third or fourth issue. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Everybody, everybody's really having a ball, and you know, it's 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 an actual labor of love. You know, Roger McKenzie came out of retirement, and he's working on it. It's a lot of cool stuff. And there's also other Charlton comics coming along as well. We're doing a book called Charlton Pulp, which is uh, pinups and short text stories to go with them. Uh, there's also a Charlton Noir book in, in the works. We're bringing back Charlton. That's so cool. That yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And for me, it's, it's like really cool because, you know, I live in Connecticut now and and uh, not too far from Derby where, where Charlton was, was situated. It kind of feels full circle to me. So you heard it here, folks. Uh, 2017, watch for Paul's Atlas of the Charlton Universe coming out. You know what? The day, the day they need a Charlton of the, of the uh, an Atlas of the Charlton Universe is the day I stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> then it stops being fun. <laughs> that was really, really cool, and Mr. Cupper was so generous with his time. That was awesome. Yeah, it was quite fun. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm seriously going to look into that Charlton stuff. That looks like the uh, finding your joy kind of stuff there. That sounds like right up your alley. Yeah, absolutely. And mine. mine. (laughs) Well, speaking of finding our joy, the Atlas of the DC Universe is all about the joy for us, man. We're going to talk about the book now. It's 
it, it normally Mayfair would print their modules and, and source books in a larger size format. This one is smaller. It's like the size, dimensions of a comic book, but very, very thick. So we're going to jump in and talk about the cover. On the cover, it's got the planet Earth with, shockingly, absolutely no cloud cover. So apparently everyone in the DC Universe has died, sadly. Hmm. It's, it's, I think this is this summer. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. Maybe it, could it will be. Maybe it will be this summer, yeah. Earth is wrapped in this giant red ribbon, and across the red ribbon it says the Atlas of, and then around the Earth, and an orbit around the Earth that says DC Universe, with a trademark, and that little orbit is being flown around by a little tiny rocket ship. And it's a really cute little rocket ship, too. Like here in the public library in, in the United States, you guys probably don't have libraries up north, do you? I don't think you have books, do you? We, uh, we communicate through smoke signals. Yes. And read things on uh, deer skin. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so it'd be like maybe where you guys collect the deer skins. It's called a library. And, the, and a lot of the library spines of books for like the sci-fi section, they always had like a little icon to represent sci-fi, and it's a little rocket ship, and that's what this little rocket ship looks like to me. But the art's great. Uh, the cover, the graphic design, the layout, and the map is done by a gentleman by the name of Chris Ferguson. But the pencils and inks is by none other than Paris Cullins, famous comic book artist. Did the first six issues of Blue Devil, one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Colors by John Strazuzzi, I guess is how you say it. Then in the background behind the planet, you have uh, a bunch of, like, a nebula behind Earth, which really isn't there in space, but it's really cool looking in a comic book sense. looks very Kirby-esque, you know? Yes, Kirby Crackle, as they call it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think it's uh, because you've got the the universe. uh, The book will cover the planet Earth, obviously, but also the universe at large and other dimensions. And the Kirby Crackle, to me, was always, you know, those... Those crazy skies on apocalypse or, or whatever. So that's the that's the element of the other dimensional. You know, you might fly through that Kirby Crackle, which isn't actually there in our universe, and <laughs> go to other universes. Well done, nice segue, sir. I like and I that. just I just noticed for the first time that the moon isn't on this. We see the sun, we see the the planet Earth. The moon isn't here, but the shadow of the moon kind of is. It's kind of strange. Uh-oh. No, this, no. What you no, the moon is there. It's right by the rocket ship by the word of. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're right. And, and the so shadow tiny. you're seeing is actually just the other side of the planet from the sun. Right. It's the night. Yes, the night. It's night in the, in the U.S. There That's you have it. it. That makes sense. You know, on the back side, you get a lot of information about the book, but it does talk about the fact that this is the first time you're going to get stats for Dial H for Hero, El Diablo, Vril Docs, and the Legion. That's L period, E period, G period, I period, O period, N period. You know, that, that Legion. Uh, Jor-El and Lara. Nightmaster, Prince Ramon, and uh, Starman 2, Prince uh, Gavin. So kind of cool stuff there. And, and plenty more. Yep. Well, when you open up the book, you, you get you get your index, and then one of the things I love here, there's an acknowledgments page. And, you know, it, a lot of people don't bother to read the acknowledgments page. But let me tell you, this one's worth it because Paul goes through and he's thanking all these re- organizations and resources that he you know pulled information from, and he slips in a bunch of fake ones. I love these. Some of the fake acknowledgments he gives is Metropolis, America's city of the world. Gotham City remembered. Metahumans of the American Midwest. <laughs> Encyclopedia Galactica, 95th edition, which is going to be, I guess, your Legion stuff. And then a compendium of the known realms of interdimensional time and space, second edition. <laughs> yep. So he went all the way to the future to get the Galactica. That's a lot of research. It really is. <laughs> and there's also some real ones like Who's Who, Volumes 1 through 3. So, Yeah, that's uh, true. So there are real, real resources in there as well. Well, Ray McNally and stuff like that as well. So. Yeah, that's right. 
By the way, I didn't mention the table of contents. Dude, it's three pages long. <laughs> Two column, too, each page, because <laughs> there's so much stuff packed in this book. Well, the first section we're going to cover is United States of America. I'm going to lead us through this because, well, I live there and Cisco doesn't, so, you know, that kind of made sense. And each entry gives you, depending on the importance of the, the city or location, you get a chunk of text. In the case of the very first one, which happens to be Bell Reeve Prison, well, there's a lot of stuff to talk about with Bell Reeve Prisons because the Suicide comic, uh, Suicide Squad comic is set there. So you get a full page of text talking about the building of the place, you know, where it's located and some of the, you know, accessibility of it, things like that. Then you get two pages of, of maps. I'm sorry, there are two full pages of text about Bell Reeve. I apologize. Then you get two pages of maps of, like, the exterior of the building and the floor plans. I mean, just really in-depth stuff. And uh, it also happens to mention that it's 10 miles from Homa. Homa also has an entry later in the book, which is the home of Swamp Thing, of course. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of breeze through. I just want to give you kind of an idea what an entry would be like. Then I'm just going to breeze through these, just mentioning some of the cities that are in here, the characters they sort of represent, because some of these are real head-scratchers, except for Little Russell Burbage, which I think has lived in most of, most of these cities, actually. But most, <laughs> most of them are going to be like, what, what the heck is, um, let me find a good one here, you know, what is Littleville, Wyoming? Well, you're going to find out in just a minute. All right. Also, it's fun to hear what state they assign stuff to. So next up is Blue Valley, Nebraska. Uh, this one, since it's not a place like the prison, we actually get a little map of the city that's been drawn out with train tracks and roads and where Town Hall is and the lake and railroads and all that neat stuff. Central, um, sorry, Blue Valley, Nebraska, which is, where, of course, home to uh, Wally West when he was Kid Flash. You know, also along the same veins in here, you're going to find Central City, Missouri, which is home to Barry Allen, The Flash. And you're going to find Keystone City in Kansas, which is home to Jay Garrick and Wally West as well. Now, it's kind of interesting. They do mention in the, in the Keystone City entry that Keystone City in post-crisis was actually disappeared for like two decades. And everyone was made to forget it ever existed. It was shunted to another dimension, and they, everyone there was like frozen, which is how they kind of you – know you know the Flash of Two Worlds story, the famous Flash of Two Worlds story? Of course. Well, they brought Grant Morrison back in post-crisis to retell that story, and that's how he did it. He had Keystone City go away for, like, 20 years, and then Barry ends up going there, and him and Jay team up, and that's how Keystone comes back to modern day. That gets referenced in here, which is always I – lo- I love that story, so that's a fun one. And sadly, it mentions that uh, Joan Garrick is a widower because the JSA has not returned from limbo yet. One of the greatest crimes ever made to the JSA. <laughs> I kind of liked it <laughs> that they were fighting Ragnarok. Well, they didn't do it forever. What? They did it for like ten years, though. Well, yeah. I, I like. I thought it was I like cool. <laughs> I liked I, it. I think it's cool too if they did it for like a year, but ten years? No, we got robbed of so many great potential JSA stories. I get why they did it. I don't, I don't want to have that fight. Never mind. You get Calvin City, Connecticut, home of Al Pratt, the Adam, and Ivytown, Connecticut, home of Ray Palmer, Adam. Who knew Calvin City and Ivytown right next to each other? Hmm, surprise. Civic City, Pennsylvania, first headquarters of the JSA. Cloister, Vermont, one of my personal favorites, home to Mark Merlin and Prince Rahman. You'd think this is like a throwaway town, except there were Mark Merlin and Prince Rahman comics for like a long time. Right, all through the 50s. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's interesting because Cloister, Vermont, isn't a town like the others because it's got a mystical aspect you know like it's got witch trials and it's got a dark history that fits the the more magical character of mark merlin and or prince ramen they're the same person in effect if you wanted to set your campaign if you're a gamer and you wanted to set your campaign in a more magical realm well you had an example of such a town the variety is is nice 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you pointed out some of the history there. I mean, I didn't really talk much about it, but you know, we talked a little bit about it with, with Paul. But these histories are really rich and fleshed out where they go in and say, you know, this town was settled in the 1700s and this was, you know, this was how it made its money initially. And this was the, you know, the rich oil baron who founded this part of the town, which, get, you know, hired all the factory workers. I mean, really detailed stuff. If you're a history buff. This book's for you, man. And even if you're not a history buff, but you you have a general passing knowledge of the city, reading, like, maybe Central City is a good example because you read some Flash comics. Reading the history of the city is fascinating. It really, really is. And then they start getting into, like I mentioned with, when I was talking to Paul, you know, there's subplots and there's comic book plots sort of laced through the story. So it's really, really a cool thing. And the, be- the best way I can describe it would be, you know, most uh, quite, quite a few of the listeners of the Fire and Water shows read the... James Robinson's Starman comic book, you know? Right. That was great. And in that comic was Opal City. And Opal City was just as much of a character as Jack Knight was. And every month it was so much fun to find out more about the history of Opal City. And that's kind of the same feeling I get when I read these entries. It's really fun to explore these cities. I'll keep rolling through them here. Coast City, California. Of course, home to uh, Hal Jordan of the Green Lantern. 6,000, or 600, according to the book, 675,000 residents. All dead. <laughs> That's true. Although I think when the Reign of Superman came around, I think the population was like in the millions. So they made a lot of babies in those uh, couple years. Um, yeah, there's a big boom. <laughs> well, yeah. There is a big boom. <laughs> there was a big boom. Oh. Interesting. No mention of Ferris aircraft in here. I thought that was it, weird. It, yeah, it is mentioned later in the – there's a business section that talks about the businesses that are important in, in the um, in the U.S. And uh, Ferris is mentioned there and it refers back to Coast City, but – the home office or the the airport or whatever they use the airbase isn't on the map or mentioned. Yeah, maybe it was um maybe it's in L.A. at this point because I think Hal lived in L.A. for a while too. Yeah, whatever. With the rest of the core, with the smaller core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's see, uh, Dos Rios, which uh, Texas, which is home to El Diablo, which was uh I think he had his own series about this point in time. Elmond, Virginia. <laughs> I love these old towns. Like, what was that? Hawk and Dove. Hawk and Dove. Evergreen City, Washington, that's another Hal Jordan one from Hard Traveling Heroes, which uh, also got eaten, not eaten, but taken away from Earth and taken away for Green Lantern Mosaic, which was right about yeah. this time period as well. It was part of the Mosaic world along with uh, lots of alien civilizations. Yeah. Yep, yep, very much like, kind of like the Thing comic book. Remember the After yeah, Secret Wars? Yeah, the Beyonder universe, yeah. the Beyonder planet. Yeah. yeah. Fairfax, Maine, which is home to Dial H for Hero, the second generation, uh, Chris King and Vicki Grant. And also, here it is, folks, your little Littleville, Wyoming that you were dying to know about, home of Robbie Reed. Yes, Robbie Reed. The original dialer. Yes. <laughs> then we get uh, Farmville, Montana, which is famous for two things. Do you know what one of them is? <laughs> Go ahead, say it. Barry Allen was born there. Oh, my God. Can you believe it? Why did they put the hospital on the map? I, I know, I know. More it's importantly, not the, yeah. More importantly, more importantly, it's famous for that stupid Facebook game that you ignore the requests from that your mom sends you. <laughs> then we get a big one: Gotham City, and we already said it, New Jersey. I'm not sure who the main character from that city is, but there's a lot of text about him. Whatever. I think there are more than one. I would think like the Creeper, maybe the Creeper. Oh, right, right, right. Gotham. Yes, okay. yes. And uh, Golden Age Green Lantern, I think. Yep, that's true. So, and then, uh, there, you know what, we should talk about Gotham City for a second, I guess, shouldn't we? Well, everybody knows it. Yeah. It gets three pages of text. Yeah. It breaks down all these great little areas. You know what I don't see, though, is the part of town from that Bob Haney story that I read recently in Brave and the Bold. Huh. 
That's interesting. How strange that a Bob Haney piece isn't mentioned in something that's considered continuity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also along the same lines, you get New Carthage, New York, which is home to uh, Dick Grayson during his college years, and Amy Winston of Amethyst. Happy Harbor, Rhode Island, of course, the first headquarters of the JLA and home to Snapper Carr, much to uh, Aqua Rob's ever, ever loving hate. Hub City, Illinois, home to the question. Also, their 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 sign, you know, like uh, New York's the Big Apple. Uh, Hub City's is worst place to live in the USA. How's that? How's that for a uh, you know convention of visitor bureau t- tagline? It's pretty horrible. Yeah. Then we get to Metropolis, Delaware, and uh, my favorite bit in there is there's a bit in there about Metropolis. Apparently, the Uptown got destroyed by with a battle with ambush bug. And I'm a big ambush bug fan, and I don't remember this story. I, I it's I if somebody knows, you you might want to put it in the in the comments. We'd appreciate it, because I can't figure out what story this is. I really can't. I got to assume it's a Superman story, not an ambush bug story. I would think. It's because the, no one's yeah. going to take an ambush bug series story seriously and put it in, a, in here. It might even be the module. Don't ask. <gasps> Could be the ambush bug module. I'm not too sure. That would be what pretty cl- cool. Yeah, what the climax is on this map. Then you get Smallville, Kansas, of course. Some guys from there. I don't remember who. Then Pittsdale, Iowa, hometown of Lois Lane. <laughs> there, there are a couple of these, uh, <laughs> like Farmville uh, and this, where, you know, today, if if, uh, if, if Paul Kupperberg were to, to, to do a, another edition, which he never would, apparently. Unfortunately. Yeah, he, he, he might put... Opal City and Bloodhaven and St. Rock, and there are plenty of, of new cities, important cities that have popped up since 1990. But at this point, perhaps these are filler. I'm, I'm not sure how much, how much I'd want to make my heroes visit Lois Lane's birthplace. Right. It's <laughs> I love this. It's got County Road B. <laughs> Yeah. And basically, I mean, the text on this one is like literally like a couple of sentences. So, I mean, you get you get various descriptions. Like Metropolis obviously is several pages long. By the way, I didn't mention there is an entry in here for New York, which is kind of interesting. And it talks about like the real growth of New York, although they start lacing in just here and there little tiny bits of superhero stuff. But most of it's like legit New York history. Right. But isn't Huma, Louisiana also a real place? Isn't I don't it? Know. Maybe. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. I just checked. It's in Terrebonne Parish. Yeah, it's a real place. So there are real places in the DC universe, obviously. Sure. But it's more fun to visit the fake ones. Sure. Because Ambush Bug can destroy half of it. Uh, Let's see. Middleton, Colorado. No one lived. No one ever went there. Oh, wait. Martian Manhunter did. Sorry, Frank. He's not paying attention anyway. Midway City, Michigan, which is the Doom Patrol. And apparently they have a section of town called Slumville. That's where I want to live. I want to live in Slumville. <laughs> They've got those horrible places, you know, right. slaughter swamp and that's true. I mean, different towns. suicide slum. Suicide yeah. slum is pretty right. bad. Let's see Quad Cities, Iowa, which is where Wild Dogs from. Then you get Star City, California, which is Green Arrow and Black Canary. I always thought Star City was like further north, you know, like uh, closer to Seattle and stuff like that. Yeah, we got but, brainwashed by Mike Grell. Yeah, I think that's what happened. I think it was just. That the Mike Rell series that came after this took place in Seattle, and so I just kind of always associated associated associated, associated Star City with that. Right. Today, of course, it's Starling City on TV, and there that's Vancouver. Go. That's clearly Vancouver. But it's not meant to be. It's supposed to be like L.A. 
<laughs> I know, but the Green Arrow's like, like a Canadian actor, and they're filming in a Canadian city. Let me have this one. Okay, fine, but I'm taking Battlestar Galactica back. <laughs> you can have it. I'm liberating Battlestar Galactica from Canada. So. Waymore, Nebraska. I love that name. Waymore! <laughs> Which is a elongated man. Yeah, he's... He- he goes, uh, he's, yeah, he's way more, yeah, way more. It's like a, a nice name for a town for a stretching hero. Exactly. And then? We talk about the maps. Oh, the maps. That's right, because uh, there are, we, obviously there are maps for each of the, the cities, but there are also some fold-out maps in here, full color or partly colored for some, gate folds, and it's like four, no, three pieces. Yep. Three panels uh, each. Three panels each. So you've got the Gotham City and you got a map of Gotham City and a map of Metropolis. Uh, which are quite nice, but uh, not particularly detailed. They're f- they're actually from older source books. Well, I have... Not particularly detailed. Well, Dude, I'm looking at Gotham City. It breaks down 24 different boroughs, and then within, e- within each borough, there's anywhere from like two to five different things within each borough, and you don't call that detailed? Well, it, it's the map itself is kind of, is kind of abstract. Don't, don't expect Google Maps. Uh, no, like with streets or whatever, maps. it's you've got general areas that uh, your heroes can visit and say, "Well, we're going over there, and let's go north." Or it'll make you know it'll make sense in a game. You don't want you don't want it to be too detailed. Um, so so these are fine. Metropolis yeah. is a little sketchier, but you know what I just noticed about the Gotham map for the first time? Yeah, take a look at it. North is the far left side of the map, not the the top part of the map. Oh yeah, yeah. How yeah. bizarre. I, well, it's because it's 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 um, it would be vertical, but they they drew it uh, horizontally so that you know it'd, it'd have more room on the on the page. I guess it. I guess that's the reason. I can't. Have, I, they could have just. But yeah, north it. is not up. <laughs> up. Yeah. I don't know. Is Metropolis right side up? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, so is Planet so, Earth. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so, so these are. These are from earlier source books, though they've been fleshed out a little more. So from the Batman source book, from the Superman source book. So these maps have, have seen the light of the day before this book, together for the first time. And then there's the, the, the map of – there's one map of the world, and the other map is uh, the USA. Now, these are – these disappointed me in a, in a sense because they use the – they use topographical maps where uh, you can see mountains and um, – you know, the depths of the ocean and elevations yep. de- or desert. Yeah, no, it's elevations because the Sahara looks pretty green. And for the U.S., it's the same. You don't see state lines or country or nation's lines. So I'm not too sure. Uh, they'll put numbers where, say, uh, Evergreen City is uh, or, or Phoenix or there are real cities in here. But because there are no state lines and I'm not that up on my American geography – I can't really tell where those are just from the just from those dots. Don't don't feel bad. I, th- I think pretty much everyone has trouble if you look at the United States without the state lines. You know, if you're looking and going, is that Missouri or Iowa or Kansas? Hell, I don't know what that is. Yeah, you know, no, unless you unless you know your river's really good, uh, you're not going to figure this out. Right. I can sort of you know I can tell number thirty-eight is um, uh, Memphis. Well, Memphis is on the Mississippi, right? That's that's that long river. <laughs> so you know I can I can tell things like this, but but there are no there are state lines just for New England because they've got a facing a black and white abstract ish map of New England because there are too many towns for for them to make sense on the larger map. At the same time, this, this and the, here you see that you can actually tell that Fairfax is in Maine, or because they've got state lines. Sadly, this always made me sad. This map because Canada's up there, 
and it's it's just it's just a white wasteland of non superhero ness. You got Alpha Flight, right? <laughs> we don't have Alpha Flight. And Captain Canuck. They're not they're not from the DC universe. So basically, Canada has at this point, Canada had the Flying Fox from the Young All Stars. Oh, I like him. I, well, <laughs> you know, and he probably died by the time. It's true. <laughs> you know, we never hear from him in the uh, modern age. That that was it. Today we've got a little more. We've got a Justice League Canada. Adam Strange is a is a Canadian, and there's a um, there's a new uh, superhero who's uh, First Nations, uh, of course, because that's the that's the trope. They they always just like the Flying Fox, or they always take native. They, all, all all our heroes are natives for some yeah. reason. Uh, they're overly well overly represented. I mean, disproportionately represented. Well, the same uh, thing with Alpha Flight. You had Shaman and Talisman and all that, and, uh, and Snowbird, and yeah, yep. it's the yep. same same deal. So because I we, think we see yeah. you as very earthy people. You see us as living in igloos, <laughs> which you, you don't. It, it's it's a distortion of the truth. They're no, ice court. palaces. Oh, oh, there it is. So it's like the James Bond movie. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. So I, I can see where my hometown would be in this map because I've always lived. I live in New Brunswick, which is right next to Maine. Although here it's a, a bit of a it's, a, it's just like a stream of white. No superheroes. So where's Old Brunswick? <laughs> um, I, England. Oh, okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. So the, the elephant in the room here, as we go through this, although we really not really because we brought it up with Paul already, but is Metropolis in Delaware and Gotham City in New Jersey. Right. Were you shocked? Um, well, I don't know much about those places really. Uh, we know New Jersey as the the uh, New York's filthy neighbor, but uh, <laughs> it's okay. We know it that way too. This even is how we call, media even though we shows call it. it. We call it the Garden State, but really, we know what yeah, it is. I know. Yeah, it's uh, that's how media shows it. Uh, Delaware is where George Washington was on a boat or something. That's all we. That's all we know. But see, places like this, I don't have a like Delaware is is perfect because. Uh, most people don't know how, all that much about the state, except maybe its role in the American Revolution. Uh, it doesn't have a large, iconic city that everybody knows. You know, I, I don't think I could name the capital of Delaware. I, I always thought of Delaware as just the out the the, the suburbs of Washington D.C., but that's just me. <laughs> I thought that was Maryland. See, Both of them, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, basically, uh, that means that state is uh, perfect to put a large population center on you don't want metropolis right next to new york even though it's because it is new york so you put metropolis on somewhere that kind of needs it you know let's give delaware a better economy and a huge city well if if you sit there with a process of elimination sort of like what you've done it makes sense but just on pure instinct as a kid you know, Gotham City in New Jersey, I didn't even bat an eye at. I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. And, but <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Just take Jersey City out and drop Gotham City in, and it works. You think um, Metropolis is too southerly? It just, it's like Delaware. And yeah, I just remember going around kind of scratching my head going, Delaware? Really? Delaware? Because you always feel like it should be part of New York. But the problem is New York isn't, there's only a tiny little piece of New York that's on the water. So, you know, it just doesn't really work. Yeah. So, in the end of the day, you kind of have to go, yeah, okay. Well, now, if you if you put it in Connecticut, maybe, you know, or Rhode Island even. Well, Rhode Island would have been bigger than the state. But, <laughs> yeah. But Metropolis could be its own, you know, its own, like like Washington, its own, uh, its own place. But, uh, actually, 
um, there are, there are stories in World's Finest or uh, whatever where Metropolis and Gotham are across the bay from each other. Oh, across geez. the bay from each other, so they're like a mirror image of one another. So there Haney. Are stories, <laughs> it's probably Haney. It's probably Brave and the Bold, or, but but there are stories where these two cities kind of face each other, and in, on this map. By putting one on Del- in Delaware and one in New Jersey, and the way they're placed here, it's like uh, number six and number nine, is it? Uh, no, nine, I mean nine uh, number ten and number nine? nine. Nine and ten. Yeah, they kind of. I mean, it's like a long way. That's a huge bay. Yeah, yeah, but they do face up each other. So this Does is work. basically from the comics. Yeah, and, and when I was saying thinking Connecticut and the other stuff, I mean, I'm not so much second guessing it. It's just as a kid, I just had a hard time accepting that. So. Now, talking about other ones, you know, one another one that always kind of threw me on the world map, the Fort, Fortress of Solitude is in Antarctica. I always thought it was in the North Pole. Well, in post-crisis, it's in Antarctica. It's a hole in the ground in Antarctica that the Eradicator dug. But obviously the big crystal one in the movies or the one they use today or uh, the one with the big key from the Silver Age uh, through Bronze Age, that, yeah. one's, that one was in the Arctic. That one okay. was – Superman was neighbors with Santa Claus. Right. Right. <laughs> they used to but, get each other's mail and have to, uh, here yeah. you go. I guess post-crisis, Byrne liked uh, draw penguins more than polar bears. I don't know. But he, they put it on the other side of the world. I guess it kind of makes sense. I mean, Antarctica is freaking huge. And it would be sort of easier to hide something there than the North right. Pole. Because I think, if I remember right, Antarctica is much bigger than the North Pole. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's actual solid ground. So it's better real estate than whatever's melting up there. That's true. That's yeah. a good point. What else? Poseidonus, very far north. So is the other Atlant- uh, all of Atlantis is, Tritonus, yeah. is, is kind of northerly. But I, I, I suppose cold water, it, it doesn't really matter. At that depth, it would all be cold water. I always, like, I guess I always kind of thought it'd be closer to the Bermuda Triangle, though. Yeah. Maybe, what? Maybe, because there is a some historical evidence, well, historical, whatever, crypto-historical evidence that uh, Atlantis might have been there. Uh, because there are like roads under the uh, under the ocean, so it's one of the places. Well, yeah, it's one of the places people say Atlantis might be. They're not really roads; they're like coral or rock formations that look like uh, straight lines. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, so it's one of the places that have been identified as a possible site of Atlantis. Obviously, the real Atlantis would have been in the Aegean Sea or the Mediterranean Sea or something, but obviously for Plato to write about it. Mm. But this is one of the places that it might have been. So it it makes sense that you'd think this. And it's like a lost – it's a place where ships disappear because obviously Ocean Masters attack. (laughs) It's all about him. That's right. (laughs) And then uh, what else? Ah, it's like, you know, little ones, like Hub City, I kind of scratched my head a little bit on that was I thought it would be closer to Chicago. And the end of the day, it's not that big a deal. Central City in Missouri, you know, for a long time, kind of scratched my head until you sit there and look on the map. You're like, no, nah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. It's in the middle of the country. And, you know, it works. Yeah, Central. So, yeah. Well, we good on the USA? After that is, it's all the uh, the business, business, media, and entertainment. They've got a section on this as well. It's kind of cool. I love this stuff because, you know, I, I have a background in marketing. And so businesses and, and all that kind of stuff is just, I love it. I love it. I love it. And so what Paul has done here, he has gathered together a list from the, you know, pulled from the comics, all these various businesses like LexCorp obviously is in here. Star Labs is obviously in here. Wayne Enterprise. But there's a million other ones that you've probably never even heard of like Stewart Public Relations and Mindy Mayer Associates, Elite Design Consultants. But these are all culled from the comic books. Right. Well, Mindy yeah. Mayer Associates was the PR firm that dealt with Wonder Woman when she came back uh, under Perez. So that one I recognized. Uh, okay. Yeah. There you go. 
So they, they really are from the comics. It's just, were you reading that comic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good yeah. point. So they break it up by like businesses, science and technology. So you get, you know, again, your Star Labs, you get your Polestar, you get, I love this one, IMP computers. As you read through, it's clearly I, I am, uh, IBM, but, you know, it was probably from a comic. You know, Dayton Industries, Cord, Omniversal Research and Development. Yay. Yay, Ted Cord. Everybody loves Ted Cord. You get into national retail and service chains, transportation, fast food chains, manufacturing. So a couple of favorites here is there's a great one here. Um, Lombard Sports World. You know that's got to be you know, the Superman guy, uh, Steve Lombard. Is, Steve yeah. Lombard. Yes. Yeah, the guy that <laughs> the guy you love to hate in the Superman comics. You know, and he's a sports guy. So Lombard Sports World. That's hilarious. And then you get this one threw me. Terry Sloan's Health and Fitness Club. Terry Sloan is Mr. Terrific from the Golden Age, so right. I'm sure it was probably in a comic somewhere. Uh, or perhaps it's a uh, – Copperberg projected the future of the the boys club that Mr. Terrific started. In the Golden Age comics, he's, he has a he's, – he's a little – he's like Sherlock Holmes. He's got orphans working for him. So he's got a boys <laughs> club and he's teaching them about fair play and self-reliance. They, they sometimes help him on adventures. Maybe that's – you know, maybe that's – maybe there is a comic book where – we see the future of that. Or maybe uh, Copperberg created the future for it. That'd be nice. Well, interestingly uh, enough, there was a series of comics, and maybe it was at this point, I don't know, where it was, it was, there were stories about Jesse Quick and her dad. Oh, no, I'm, th- I'm getting that mixed up when he went into health food, not, not Terry Sloan. It was him that yeah, – because Terry Sloan's totally dead by this point. I forgot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Huh. Oh, well. One of my favorites is Mayfly Games, Inc. <laughs> obviously supposed to be Mayfair. Yeah. Somebody made this book. And I and here it says, and I remember this because I've played this scenario. Their greatest claim to fame is the publication of the Booster Gold board game, mm-hmm. which is part of the Booster Gold. There's a Booster Gold adventure module. Yeah. Which comes with a board game that Booster Gold has to go and, and, and shill. <laughs> That's so great. That's awesome. Yeah. And you can play it. It's a real – the board game works. Oh, yeah. I remember. Under fast food, uh, they get the bun and run, which I'm pretty sure – I haven't done the research on it, so forgive me, Matchheads, if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure that's where Ronnie Raymond worked when he worked at the hamburger joint. There's a whole section dedicated to media and entertainment. You get all these TV stations. Some are real. A bunch are fake. You know, you get you know WGBS, of course, You know the one where Clark worked for years. You get the one um, that Alan Scott was in charge of. In here also is mentioned Werner Brothers. Film studio, which of course is from parody of Warner Brothers, but it was from Blue Devil. So of course that's like one of my favorites. Woohoo! It's, it's not just call signs. It's like mentioned the shows that you, you know your heroes might watch. At one of the shows is uh, Donovan, and we'll talk about it in a second. But then also Captain Carrot and his amazing Zoo Crew, which apparently is a Saturday morning animated kid show. I think we've seen it on, on TV screens. Yeah, I think we yeah. have as well. Then there's a page dedicated. This next page, here's a long-distance dedication to Mr. Keith G. Baker. Uh, this, this is the professional sports page. Keith is our resident fictional sports guy, and he loves the fake sports team. They have it all broken down by baseball, football, basketball, and hockey. You've got your National League, your American League, your National Conference, American Conference, all that stuff. You've got a bunch of real teams in here, you know, like Chicago Cubs and Milwaukee Brewers, things like that. But there's a bunch of fake ones, too. So I'm going to run through the fake teams real quick, just because I, I find this stuff hilarious. So Metropolis has the Metropolis Meteors. And, which is a brilliant name, by the way. That's really awesome. But there's actually a Meteors football team and a Meteors baseball team, and that comes from the comics. I remember there was a not so much a mix-up, but they assigned the same name to both football and baseball one time in a comic. Anyway, you've also got Metropolis Monarchs for baseball, the Generals for basketball, and the Mammoths for hockey. 
Then over at Gotham, of course, you've got your Knights with a K, which is your baseball team. That's the one you'd kind of expect. But you've also got your Wildcats for football, your, your Gotham Griffins for baseball, another baseball team. You've got Gotham Guardsmen for basketball, and you've got Gotham Blades for hockey. That's a great name for a hockey team. People still play hockey? Of course they do. That's a question for you. <laughs> you you can tell us all about it, right? Well, they don't they don't play it in Canada anymore. Oh, no, actually, we got a team back. It's looking up. <laughs> I, think, I think all your uh, I think all your ice melted this summer anyway. So yeah, well, uh, all all the teams are, uh, are are moving to the states to places like Gotham and, um, <laughs> and that's Park right, City. exactly Central City. Now, Central City football team, uh, watch out for if you're, if you're a young man at the clubs because it's the Central City Cougars. They're going to get you, the football team. Uh, then Central City Stars for baseball. Coast City's got the Sharks, which I'm pretty sure was the, the football team on the TV series Coach. So now we know where that series is based. Coast City Angels for baseball, which was totally the Los Angeles Angels. And Coast City Clippers, which is basketball. Star City, you get the Stags for football, the Rockets for baseball, the Lights, Star City Lights for basketball. I like that's a good name. I like that. Midway has Cardinals for football. Midway City Chiefs for baseball, Midway Sprints for basketball, and the Wolverines for hockey. So you know where you know which team Logan's rooting for. And then a couple of uh, little independent ones: Keystone City Kings, which is basketball; Dos Rios Dudes, which is basketball, which is from uh, El Diablo. And of course, my the last one, the one that is just cracks me up every time I hear it: the Hub City Slashers for hockey. That is awesome. Love it. Worst team in the USA. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's their they're the, they're world's worst. That's their thing, Hub City. And they don't mean that they're a bad team. They just will kill the other players. And then there's the the next section is called Public Figures, uh, which starts with it's, it talks about different people around the DC universe. It starts with the most public figure of all, common humans, <laughs> and gives the stats for those. They're not all statted out. There, a few of them are featured as as uh, stats blocks, so that you know you might see. Okay, well, Morgan Edge is important enough to warrant uh, some stats. A lot of them are just small descriptions. So you've got people like, you know, like like Marla Bloom from Blue Devil. Woo! There's a pile of Blue Devil ones from um, that word had worked at Werner Brothers. Uh, Sharon oh, yeah. Scott's in here. I, I noticed a few others, but you you know you've got people you'd recognize today, like Cad Grant or. Funky Flashman or Morgan Edge, you know, people working at Star Labs that were prominent. Lois Lane's got a little line. Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne uh, as their uh, alter egos, people like that. But you've also got a lot of people that you probably wouldn't recognize. They were important in the comics at the time. I didn't even notice that Bruce Wayne's in here. That's hilarious. Yeah, and he's pictured. Mm-hmm. He's one of the he was one of the few characters pictured in the book. But you know, you've got people in here. When you read the small description, it might give you an idea of how you could use such a person in, in the story in your stories. A lot of those names today are you know forgotten. They're they're really from the supporting casts of the of 1990. One of them isn't even in the comics. Juan Donovan, which you mentioned earlier, he's a Geraldo clone mm-hmm. that was. Not not an actual clone, but he's a Geraldo <laughs> stand-in. Cadmus got a hold of him. Yeah, he, he, he's basically Geraldo. Uh, he has his own kind of talk show, uh, like a Mori Povich kind of thing, or a Geraldo thing. And he's featured in the uh, adventure module that comes with the second edition box of the game. And it's, it's like a crazy little oh. silly game. Yeah, where you play, the, you play the Justice League, the comedy Justice League. Uh, the called Exposed? It's called Exposed. Exactly. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it's like he's got heroes and villains uh, trying to get votes for the Lost Man Hunter tapes that got, that have all the secrets, all the, the hero secrets on it. Oh, so, lovely. A millennium. 
thing. So, yeah, well, it's like a sequel to Millennium, and it's cool. it's, like, it's basically it's hilarious because you get your superheroes on are, are on a talk show where they're throwing chairs and insults at the, the Injustice League and vice yeah. versa. So it's fun. So Juan Donovan here is like he's from the role playing game universe, if not cool. actual DC universe. Yeah, and these characters live. Uh, in the mostly in the U.S., but you've got characters that live elsewhere because the book also covers the world. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and since you took care of the um, the U.S. because you live in the U.S., I'll take care of the world because I live in the rest of the world. That's right. You do. <laughs> you live in the world. That's right. I'm I'm an international personality. <laughs> That's Although one Can- word. Yeah, Canada isn't in here. Damn it. So, <laughs> but but it does have a lot of uh, countries, fictional countries from uh, from the DC universe. Some of them you'll recognize. Some of them you want. But like the the biggest uh, the biggest section is on Atlantis. Rob just perked up. I think it's the biggest section of the whole book of the whole book. One space, ten pages, uh, because it covers various eras of Atlantis. So you've got talks about Atlantis where it is, etc. But it's it's got the Atlantis of Arion, so the Atlantis that's actually above the surface, and then it goes through the whole everything that was in the Atlantis Chronicles miniseries. So all the everyone in Aquaman's bloodlines in here. They, they've got stats and histories, and then eventually uh, the Atlantis of today. Atlantis is actually a big territory. It's got several cities in it, so it talks about all of that. It's the biggest section in here. I gotta but, say, it was yeah. a really lovely reread. I loved reading the Atlanta section as much as I w- would pick on Rob. If he, he's not even listening at this point, because he never role played, he doesn't care. It's he's just, just scanning for the word Atlantis, right? So he's it's listening. A, now. Well, <laughs> it's, it's a really fun read reading this Atlanta section, and the Arion stuff was wonderful for me. I love Arion. Now, by the way, that is the official pronunciation, Arion. Uh, we asked Paul. I think I don't think it was part of the interview. I think it was after the interview we were talking with him about it. So it is Arion. So right. not not Orion. Not Orion. That that would be um, confusing with the new god. There you go. There you go. Uh, but you've also got other places that you'd recognize. For example, uh, Gorilla Cities in here. Uh, Federa, <laughs> the home of Northwind. So it's a, a lot of all, all the fans out there. <laughs> if you want to set an adventure there, go ahead. <laughs> well, Fedora is not the worst for me. The worst for me is Markovia. Oh. Markovia, where Ge- where Geoforce and Terra come from, uh, and they've even found a, a reason to put the Geo- a Geoforce stat block in here, even though Geoforce is in two or three adventure modules and he's in the core book. And I mean, those damn outsiders! What are they doing in this book, ruining it? Well, they, uh, got, they got Helga Jason here too, dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's dead, and, and still we get her stats. But Sorry, I do like uh, spoilers, folks. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an old spoiler. If it, w- it was old in 1990, so here I like it. It says uh, uh, what I like is that it says visitors from all around the world come to Markovia. Oh yeah, <laughs> people go to Markovia for the splendid skiing and other recreational attractions. You know, like looking at people living like it's the Middle Ages. Right. The attempted coups to throw over the monarchy. <laughs> So it's it's like Latveria without Doctor Doom. So I have to say, given how much space in Who's Who is dedicated to Markovia and the Outsiders, I'm shocked at how little Markovia is actually in here. Yeah, well, it's a, just mercy. a little tiny little section. So. Small mercy. But you've also got Kurak, which is the Middle Eastern rogue nation that DC uses, so they don't anger the real rogue nations. Uh, you've got, <laughs> but you've got you've got Russia. I mean, the USSR is in here. 
Mm-hmm. The Soviet Union's in here with, even though it's not a fictional country, although today it is. But, you, uh, most importantly, though, in the uh, Soviet Union entry, you get stats for Zastrow and Stolonovok. What's it, Steel Wolf? Iron, no, what's, what is it called? <gasps> I've, I've blocked him out. Oh, no. He's a Firestorm character. I know. Uh, but something something Wolf. It's, it's like John, John Ostrander's work, right? This is yeah. during the John Ostrander era. They, so they, he, even mention, uh, they even mention Soyuz in here, too. Yeah, so he, he fleshed out the uh, DC Universe's international realm uh, a lot in Suicide Squad and Firestorm, so he's got a lot of stuff in here, basically. You make a good point. I mean, this, most of this section is because of him. That's a good point. Yeah, although uh, there are some... Uh, and I like the, they've actually put Badnesia in here, which, which is where Johnny Thunder was born. God. <laughs> they say they don't know where it is, though. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a floating... There are no countries around the map, but also some smaller places that were important at the time but aren't necessarily important today, and some that we sort of had to look up. Yeah, I I had to Google Austinburg because, like, that's one of the things about the text, guys. It doesn't straight up always say who the character is. Like this one of Austinburg, the country, it just tells all this history and stuff that went on there. Like, you read it, and you're like, I have no idea what comic book this is tied to. I don't have a clue. I had to Google it to find out it was attached to Checkmate. Yeah, and, and it, make, it makes sense that Kupperberg would use it yeah. because he, he created Checkmate, so probably created this country as well. And then you get another one, Bogotago. And I'm like, I, I read that one too. Couldn't figure out what it was from. Had no idea. It turns out it's from Batman. Now, by the way, we should say we're taking the mickey out of a couple things here and there for fun. But just to be sure everyone understands, this is completely out of love. When we're cracking a joke about Markovia or whatever, it doesn't. It is not a knock about this book. We love this book so much. We're just having some fun with it. That's all. Oh yeah, it's it's a knock against the uh, the DC universe of the time. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice Zandia? Like, there's a there's actually a printing error in Zandia. It just the brother stops. blood. Um, oh yeah, you're right. Implying that that the sent you, and then right. there's <laughs> then you go on to the next section, the universe. The universe! Oh, yeah. Uh, section four, the universe in the 20th century, and here it's, uh, well, I mean, obviously you're going to get some Omega Men stuff. Did you notice? Did you, did you look at it? <sighs> All right, time for my confession. <laughs> I told you at the front that I insisted on not recording the next episode of Hero Points until I had read this book cover to cover. I want, you know, it's a 200-page book, and you know me, I, I, without pictures, I can't read. So it took me a long time to get through it. There are and this is my admission, there are seven and a half pages of this book I did not read and didn't even attempt to. And that was seven and a half pages dedicated to the vegan galaxy for Omega Men. <laughs> and honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm mad at the Omega Men simply by, because of the amount of real estate they took in Who's Who, which isn't fair, but whatever. I wanted Commissioner Gordon. Instead, I got Coriander uh, in Who's Who, so I decided not to read the Omega Men section. That was my... And- it's your Markovia. It's your Markovia. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. But there are a lot of stuff here. Even if when you avoid this section, and and helpfully, it's all they, they, they've bundled all of them together in the vegan system together. The rest of the entries, a lot of stuff from the Green Lantern Corps, a lot of stuff from um, the Acronym Legion, Legion eighty nine, and so on. That was so that you, was really nice, dude. Like, it's the only place you'll get these these stats. You'll get the vegan system uh, in every other book. Uh, <laughs> It's true, and you'll get the Green Lantern stuff in Green Lantern source books, but Acronym Legion, which is what I'm going to call them, Acronym Legion does not have any source book or any adventure module, so really, this is the only place where you can get your stats for Vril Docs or, or several others. It was, it was nice for me, because I read that book for a long time, 
and I hadn't thought about it in forever. And just flipping through here, coming across like Garen Beck's stats, I was like, oh, I remember him. I hadn't thought about him in ages. You know, the, now the stats don't mention his ridiculously tall hair. They probably should. But like under like a, a drawback or something. It should, or an advantage. <laughs> True. But, but yeah, you'd you call get, it a drawback, yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things that surprised me about that was Lobo's home planet yeah. is Zarn, C-Z-A-R-N. Right. Because you always know he's the last Zarnian, right? Right. But in my head, the planet was always like Zarnia, not Zarn. Oh. So that kind of threw me. Well, now you know. Nerd, the, pro- nerd problems. Sorry. That's what the book is for. So you also get, you know, Thanagar and Ran and uh, Krypton. Uh, so not all planets are still situated where they, they used to be, but um, and oh well, uh, and yeah, so plenty of uh, plenty of planets, and then it ends on actually it tells you how you can uh, use that universe and do a little, you know do a little space opera in, for your superheroes, which is actually what I'm doing in my actual DC Heroes campaign. Uh, yeah, I've got them in like uh, indeterminate future, and it's half space opera and half. Gotham is terrible. <laughs> it's got like well, post-apocalyptic Gotham and then space opera. And so here they've got actual uh, things with, with uh, mechanics in them, but also like descriptions uh, of space phenomena. So you, you get sorry. Of course, you get like um, you get songs from Sesame Street, and then you get uh, an alien arm, uh, alien armadas, and it describes you know what an alien armada would be like and. Uh, what powers it would have as a as a force? Asteroid belts, black holes, meteor showers, nebula, supernovas, which have a seventy APs of bomb power. Jeez, well, almost has to. And then pulsars, but then it has like this is all stuff we have in our own universe, presumably. Alien armadas, I don't know, but you know, presumably we have all of this in our universe. But there is one that's very specific to the DCU, which uh, interested me. It's called the Silver Twist. And it says... It's, it's sounds, a great, like, sounds like a drink. Yeah, you put that, put that in your drink. Uh, the Silver Twist is a strange band of energy that roams about the universe. The twist and its random comings and goings defy description. Anyone entering the Silver Twist will be sent to an alternate universe of the GM's choice and design. Wait a minute. So, well, it, to me, that sounded like the Nexus from... That's exactly what I'm thinking. Like start, from Star Trek Generations. Yeah. Uh, but Generations was after 1990. It was much later than this. So, mm. so, so it was impossible. So I actually checked. This is one of the things I Googled. And uh, it's actually from one of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow stories where the green duo, the Emerald duo, gets sent to another universe by this this thing, this twist, and they wind, they wind up in a reality where, or a planet where, uh, they have to play Robin Hood. What? That's the story. That so, doesn't sound very hard-traveling heroes. Well, you know, Sherwood Forest, uh, hard-traveling through Sherwood Forest. So so this is actually a, like a small tidbit that the, the writer found to put in, in here. I, I, I imagine they could have done it even more than this uh, for space phenomena. This, I mean, comic books are full of anomalies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So you might, fi- you might fall into the silver twist and find yourself in another place or another time. <laughs> Thank, thanks for that segue. <laughs> very, uh, very subtle, very subtle. Yes, the next <laughs> section is section five. Um, now, now, real quick, though, the section four was the universe, and we went through the planets. That, by the way, even though we kind of blew through it, that was 30 pages of really good stuff minus seven and a half pages. 
uh, for Vegan Galaxy. But uh, the re- but really good stuff in there. So I mean, just to give that, I just want to tell you that to give you an idea on the bulk of this. The next section is also called the universe. The universe. 30th century. So you get uh, another 26 pages dedicated to the Legion. This is great stuff for the Legion fans. Now, I, I imagine some of this is being reprinted probably from one of the Legion source books because there was two source books. One for characters and one for planets and places. Yep. So now probably does, from the places one. It does say that the information in the source book predates the Great Collapse of 2989. If I remember right, one of the source books was 2995. Not the price, but that was the year. So this would, this stuff would be before, <laughs> yeah. prior to that. So anyway, goes through all your planets. You know, you get the ones you'd expect. You get like Bismol with Matter Eater Lad. You even get a picture of him eating a steel bar, which is always a hoot. You know, you get Brawl, which is where, of course, um, Cosmic Boy's from. You know, I really hope I got that right. Yes. Okay. Good. And yeah, you did. <laughs> Daxum and the Dominion and all these different planets. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But if you're a Legion fan, this 26 pages is a really cool place to live. I really enjoyed reading through here. Um, they've even got some of the the non-planetoid ones, like Medicus One, which was a, a floating medical facility, which was featured in a lot of stories. So good stuff in here. Definitely check that part out in uh, the universe. So once that is done, you get flipping of, God, 26 pages takes a while to flip through. You get more gravitational effects and stuff like that, and then you get to section six, which is the dimensions. Bum, bum, bum. If you're not content with just the one universe. Exactly. <laughs> you get this, yeah. And the first one right out of the gate is uh, the afterworlds, which is, no kidding, heaven and hell. Kind of brave of a, a kid's comic series to, to or, you know, role-playing game to touch on that, but it's kind of hard to ignore because at this point, the, the demon monthly book was going, which, you know, so you can't just ignore heaven and hell at that point. And then uh, it features Apocalypse, which is a really cool image of Dark Side, very old-school kind of Dark Side shot, like in between Kirby and Superpowers when other people were trying to figure out how to draw them still. And one of the things that, that caught my attention in here, it says that Stargates, I'm sorry, it says uh, Boom Tubes are also known as Stargates. And the only place I can remember a boom tube being called a Stargate was from the Super Friends cartoon. Right. I don't remember any other place. Maybe they picked it up from there. I don't know. So I keep imagining, you know, Calabac, get into the Stargate. Watch out for the silver twist. Um, <laughs> then they cover things like the Dream Dimension. You know, you're going to get – because at this point, Neil Gaiman's Sandman book had launched, but Vertigo hadn't launched yet. So they were still trying to figure out what to do with that. They're like, okay, it's a mature reader's book, but it's still in the DC universe, right, guys? And, you know, of course, Pete, you know, Neil's editor's going, oh, sure, yeah, uh-huh, right, yeah, that's fine. So they, they figure out ways to include it. So the Dream Dimension is in here. The House of Secrets and the House of Mystery, which had already been sort of absorbed by the Gaiman-verse, are in here. You get – this one I thought was interesting – Mara's world. Mara as an Aquaman's wife. Uh, nowadays, we know her dimension as Zebel. But in here, it's just called Mara's World, and in fact, they reference a scientist named Zebel in here, which is interesting. And this is also during that period of time where uh, Mara was dead, because she had, get this, had gone insane and was accidentally killed by Aquaman. I hate it when that happens with my wives. (laughs) There's a a cool section on Mount Olympus, which, it's your standard stuff, but I was reading this, and it's like, they talk about this, how it was attacked by Darkseid? Which sounds totally cool, and I wasn't sure if that was like a module or was a comic I haven't read, but I don't know. Piqued my interest. And then uh, you get Myra, 
which is a little-known dimension, which I was kind of surprised to find in here, because it's all about Nightmaster, which at this point I'm pretty sure hadn't been around, maybe except in Crisis, in a long time, and really wouldn't become popular again until Shadow Pack. So I was really surprised to find little niche ones like that, but I'm glad I glad it's there. You know, it makes for pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Pretty cool reading, you know? It's a bit like the universe stuff gave you the, the option to, to, to play space opera with mm-hmm. the game system, and this gives you a little D&D world. Or a couple, because Skartaris is also in here with a lot of, and Skartaris has a lot of information and characters. But it gives you like little fantasy worlds where you know what you could use this 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 DC heroes to play sword and sorcery. It works. You've got examples of the characters, and yeah, you you could actually use a system to do this. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that was one of the nice things about the system. It did scale, so you could do different things with it. And, of course, there's, like, you know, the Phantom Zones in here and Quard and, you know, all these other ones that you would expect. And then our very last one is what? Zriff? Zriff? That's right. Home of Mr. Mitzi. Home of Mr. Mitzi's Pitalik. Yeah, the fifth dimension, as it's better known. So even that's in here. Yep. And then you get travel values, like AP showing you how, how difficult it is to travel from one area to the next of dimensions and stuff like that. Like, it's really difficult to get to Zriff, but it's pretty easy to get to Bigadol Zul, which is... Uh, yeah, because Phantom Girl just steps right through. And then you get a big fat index, and that is the end of the book. Woof! You know, this is a, this is a gorgeous tome. I love reading it. It's packed full of illustrations of maps and stuff like that. But surprisingly, there aren't that many pictures uh, or images of superheroes or supervillains. I counted them up. There's only 16 superheroes and villains in this book. You you get your Batman, you get your Superman, things like that. Orion, Aquaman, whatever. There's no Wonder Woman picture in this entire book. You get some, like... Isn't there? No, you get some Amazon iconography shots. Mm. Like Themyscira stuff. But no Wonder Woman herself. You know, because the Trinity didn't exist back then. And of course, there's Northwind. What's up with that? Anyway, so so why would you say, sir, that nowadays, uh, or even back then, I should say, if you're not a role-playing fan, why would you say this book is is meaningful to someone? I'd say, well, for gamers, obviously, the, that's that's obvious. For non-gamers, it's still it's a book about facts and of the DC universe. So as as geeks, as nerds, or whatever you want to call comic book readers, we're interested in this stuff. We're interested in the minutia. We're interested in getting all the details. That's why we collect the stories. We collect comics because we want the whole story. We want the whole picture. And when we were young, it was much easier because the comics were much cheaper. But, mm-hmm. but you could basically say, well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to collect everything from this universe. I'm going to try to find everything that's in this universe and get the complete story and see all the characters working together and see all these places. So with the Atlas, you get all the information that you, you might have found, apparently it's, it's all in the comics, so you might have found by reading, at this, at this point, 50 years of comics, more than 50 years of comics, distilled into uh, easy-to-understand encyclopedic entries. That's a good way to put it. I think I actually kind of shared my answer earlier, just using my Opal City example, probably. When you read this book... Especially when you're reading about a city you're already vaguely familiar with, you fall in love. You really do. You fall in love with the history of the city. The city becomes more alive as you read it. Or, or maybe it's about reading about a business and LexCorp and all their subsidiaries, you know, whatever it might be. It's fascinating because we live 
quote-unquote live in these DC comics all the time. We read them. We're part of that universe, but we don't see how the universe works. We just follow the thread of the character. We see what Clark Kent's up to. We don't see the fast food restaurant that he never set foot into and why it's important or how it fits. But this helps it makes a more complete picture for you. And uh, as nerdy completists, which most of us are, that's why we collect comic books and have to have issue 42. We can't just have issue 41 and 43. By God, we got to have number 42 as well. It appeals to the completist side of you. Yeah, how it all locks together, how it all fits together. And a book like this is, you'll, you'll go back to it all the time. You know, mm-hmm. you, you won't read it all the way through. You'll 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 pick it up. You'll read an entry here, an entry there. There's and it's not specific to any character or franchise. So there, there's something for Legion fans. There's something for even Omega Men fans. <laughs> uh, if you're a, a Batman fan, which many people are, people are, you'll read through this and say, oh, th- this thing from it'll remind you of something, or you'll discover something new about it. Everyone goes through Batman phase, by the way. Of but course. here's another way to look at it too. If you're currently a disgruntled comic reader, and a lot of people are. It's not, it's not a knock. It's just a factual statement. And I often say find your joy. Find what period of history that you love your comics or your character, your price point, whatever. This, for me, is a huge part of finding my joy, as we were talking about earlier, I think. Because this is a snapshot of what the DC Universe looked like in 1990. It's, it's lovely to revisit that. It's a blast. So, Anyway, you can get your own copy still. You can uh, get copies on Amazon fairly cheaply used copies anywhere from uh, I looked it up today anywhere from five dollars to seventeen dollars you can get them or if you if you're kind of like a person who wants to get mint condition stuff you can pay more and you can get it for like 30 or 50 bucks if you want I, I don't I mean my copy I my literally I dropped it a couple times getting ready for this I'm pretty sure the spine's about to go just because I've read it so much I bought it off the shelf new and just have you know really loved the hell out of this book and so. mine's fine mine's fine because I you know I committed it to memory long ago I don't have to. <laughs> well, you, of course, you know, you use tongs to turn the pages, and you have those latex gloves on whenever you handle it. So That's right. Acid-free. That's right. Now, there is a digital version of the Atlas online you can check out, which is kind of fun. It's, it's not a one-for-one replacement for this book. I mean, it's, it is a really great geography piece of the Atlas. Like, you can click on a country. And it'll show you where the various DC landmarks are. It might even give you a blurb like Central City, home to Barry Allen the Flash. But you're not going to get the two pages of history and, you know, how it was formed and how the railroad played a role in developing it. And then you kind of see the thread. You go, well, wait a minute. That becomes later in the 1980s. And oh, and that affected Barry Allen. You know, you don't get that piece of it. But you do get where everything's located. And they, and, um, they include your straight lines. Uh, that Cisco is missing. State lines and all the other towns. So you can actually tell how close your fictional town is from real town. So you can actually, you know, have a context for where these places really are. And if you read the credits at the bottom, they they actually credit the Atlas of the DC Universe and the uh, DC Universe Secret Origins book that came out in 2000. So so it's got updated stuff. It's got like Opal City and stuff like that in there. And and you can tell that they use the Metropolis or the the DC Universe 2000 book because this website was clearly made back in the year 2000. That's not a genuine knock at it because back then all websites looked like this. So, uh, but it's a useful resource. I've used it. Woof. Well, I think that's going to close out the Atlas part of the show, don't you? I've, I've closed the book. All right. Put it back in its acid-free sleeve. That's <laughs> not true. All right, folks. Now it is time to get to your feedback. You know, we did, as we said, we did the last episode 10 months ago. But we, got any, we were so thrilled because we got such a positive response. 
We got so many emails, so many tweets, so many, you know, plus ones, all these things. You guys were so great, so supportive, and there's clearly a huge passion for DC role-playing out there. I hope you guys came along for the second episode, and we're going to shoot through some of the feedback from the first episode. We're not going to be able to read everything. We're not going to be able to acknowledge everybody. We're, we're going to hit you know, the, some little bits that we can. So if you don't get mentioned, please know that we read every comment, we read every post, we looked at every tweet, um, but there's only so much time. I mean, this, this podcast is already going like an hour and a half as it is as, as we get into this. So we are cognizant of wanting to make these shows shorter, but it's not happening so far. All right, right out of the gate, we got an email from... Yes, I couldn't believe it when I opened it. Ray Winninger, one of the designers of the DC Heroes role-playing game. My jaw dropped when I saw this thing. He wrote us saying, uh, listening to that brought back a lot of great memories. So that was incredibly kind of him to send that note. Really appreciate that. And then we heard from Michel Fief, if you're not familiar with him. He is a comic book writer. He likes, writes a lot of independent comics and is currently writing Marvel Comics All New Ultimates. He sent us a nice note about the listening to the show as well. Also, another creator we uh, heard from, professional, we heard from Dave uh, Beatty, who is an inker. And he, in fact, he inked the Firestorm pages in Brightest Day. And I'm going to read a little bit of his letter. He wrote, many, and I mean many moons ago, my friends and I played this game every weekend. And we got pretty good at it and walked through a Riddler campaign that we all liked, but it was too easy. And why wouldn't it be for Superman, Captain Adam, Firestorm, and Green Lantern? <laughs> so we all decided to do it again with four all-new heroes who couldn't have starting stats greater than a mid-level thug. So he goes on to describe his characters. They're all based on sort of the question, but they were the answers. They worked out of a pizza joint. They drove a Ford Taurus things like that. I mean, the kind of stuff that you do when you create base level characters. You know, you're just hanging on by a thread. I love it. Anyway, he went on to say, we had so much fun. We ran those characters through every campaign we thought we could handle. Most challenging and fun RPG play for me ever. Heard from our buddy Negative Steve Mandel. He says, I, part of it, I'm going to read pieces of it here. He says, I was a big superhero role player in high school and college, and DC Heroes was a big part of that. And he goes on to say he has a playtesting credit in one of the JL Justice League modules because he played at Origins. How cool is that? It's very cool. Jealous. Yeah, he goes on to say, uh, my favorite gag was that uh, he, he, they played Don't Ask, the Ambush Bug module, which we mentioned before, and we'll, we'll mention again, we'll mention this Every episode, probably. <laughs> Ad nauseum. <laughs> yeah, un until we cover it. He says, my favorite gag in that one was the at the end of the adventure, the Russians dropped the atomic bomb, but since they didn't declare killing combat, because in the game you, you're always in bashing combat, superheroes don't kill even you know with a punch, you have to declare a killing combat. For, for it to happen, uh, they didn't. The, the Russians didn't declare com killing combat, so everyone woke up after three turns. <laughs> Atomic bomb, uh, and uh, and this is uh, his PS, his postscript is, and it's it's a very common comment we got from people. Uh, I told my ex roommate about the podcast, and within 24 hours, he purchased the updated D20 rules for DC Heroes, which is DC Adventures. I hope you got a commission off of that. And no, we, we did not. We, did we absolutely not. do not. <laughs> uh, we heard from Mike Voyles, and that, if you don't know Mike, he is Mike of Mike's Amazing World of Comics, that fantastic site that every podcaster visits and references because he has the most amazing release date schedules. It's astonishing. And uh, he wrote in, I listened to your show and thought it was great. I had the first edition set, but I had no friends to play it with. I was a big Titans fan. I can remember obsessing over the Titan Tower blueprints. Let me tell you, Mike, you weren't the only one. Oh, yeah. uh, I also had the Atlas, which was the single greatest thing Mayfire ever made. Look at that. Look at that. Right there. Testimonial for what we just talked about. I still pull it out every once in a while to check things out. They finally let us know where all those fictional cities existed. Woo! Then we heard from uh, Jack Dower. Now, uh, who let, let's be fair. 
What? It's not so much that we heard from Jack, it's just that he was able to pass a note through the guards that got out of the asylum and made its way to us. Right. And he does call us um, names. <laughs> he calls you the fleet commander. That's yep. pretty good. He calls me the Canadian supporting character. That's <laughs> yeah. uh, all, all tied into the uh, nuclear subs nicknaming. That's what that, that's what that is. <laughs> and he, he misspells Siskoid horribly as well. But he asks a couple of questions which we might be able to answer. What do you think makes a solid campaign? And do you think the MMO computer games like DC Universe are the modern version of the role-playing games we all, except Commander Kelly, Throb, <laughs> played in high school? What do you I, think? Well, what makes a solid campaign is I think Characters. Characters make the, a solid campaign. The stories come and go, but it's the characters that make the stories interesting and investing in characters. What, do I think MMO computer games are the modern version of RPGs? No, I do not. I think they're two separate mediums. They each do something well, but they don't do the same thing. And it's not the same experience sitting at a table, being in, like in free form. The scenario can go anywhere. You don't get that with a computer game. You, you can have the, the human interaction on chats or, or, See, or with headsets, but I disagree, I disagree with you. I would say it is modern-day role-playing. I'm not saying it's 100% analogous, and I'll explain in a second. But it is, I mean, pen and paper games, they're, they're not gone completely, but it's mostly old people like us playing them, not kids. The, the MMORPGs, or whatever they are, is the modern-day role-playing games. They really are. That's where they build a character, a lot of the mechanics behind the scenes. Some of the Star Wars uh, MMO, or whatever the heck that acronym is, some of the Star Wars computer games actually run off the old you know, role-playing game system in the background. I think that is the equivalent of that. Now, you lose the human interaction. Yeah, sure, there's chatting, but it's not the same as sitting around the table eating Cheetos and drinking Dr. Mountain Dew and, and shooting the bull. You lose that. And it's sort of the same thing, and here's my analogous thing, with comic books. Comic books, you used to go to the comic shop and buy your comic. Well, a lot of us still do, but you go to the comic shop, you buy your comics, you sit there for probably 30 minutes and shoot the bull with the, either the guy who works there or the girl who works there or customers in the store, and you talk about comic. You're like, you get in an argument about who would win in a fight, Thing or Thing or Silver Surfer. I mean, it just it happens. It's just a thing that happens when you're in a comic store. Whereas nowadays, you fire up your computer or your phone and you go to Comixology and you buy a comic and you don't interact with anyone. But there's still comics. So, I mean, it's a shopping issue. I'll give you an analogy that's a little more, that's a little closer. Saying that an MMO is like an RPG, a tabletop RPG, is like saying that a uh, a video game is the equivalent of a board game. Hmm. It's it's a modern day I mean, equivalent. Well, it's it's it has the same function in society, if you will, but it's not the same experience. It's right. not the experience the same is medium. different. I agree. That the experience is different, but it is the modern day version. I, we're getting into semantics here. We're wasting sure. <laughs> well, spent a lot of time it, on a crazy it, guy. This is going to – yeah, exactly. I also – I mean this is the guy that also asks uh, what the difference between bacon and Canadian bacon is. And I have no real answer except the Canadian bacon really sucks. Huh. Is it like just ham? It is not ham. Although ham also sucks. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a ham. I don't. I don't eat. A, I don't eat ham. But okay. uh, I eat bacon. But Canadian bacon is like from the wrong end of the pig. Okay. And, yeah, it's from another part of the pig. The pig. The part of the pig I don't want to eat. Basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I have to say this: we, we do get our mandatory penguin reference from Jack Dower. He calls him the elegant eagle of evil. <laughs> I love when he makes his penguin references. And then he All compares right. me to Steve Urkel. So right, let's move on. Yeah, I'm actually okay with that part. We heard from <laughs> our buddy Aaron Head Moss. Uh, he said, one of the things you want to mention about the episode, he said that when you were GMing, you had to watch for people that would give their characters attractions towards 
underwater basket weaving. I made that up when we were talking. I was just saying, I was using an example of ridiculous attractions people would make up to get points. And I said, there's no way. And he said, when he heard this, he had to laugh his ass off because one of the merit badges he earned when he was becoming an Eagle Scout was a basket weaving badge. And once his wife found out about this, she teased him endlessly, calling it underwater basket weaving. So when I made that reference, he lost it. So I'm glad uh, I'm glad I'm able to help you out there, Aaron. Also, he wanted to thank us. Our blog, our, our blog, our podcast actually inspired him to do a blog entry. So you can find about his role playing credentials. So you can find that over at brotherhead.blogspot.com. It's back in the uh, September entry. So check that out. We heard from our good buddy M- Michael Bailey, who uh, did a post about actually the Reign of Superman, which was in the Reign of Superman. We talked a little bit about that last time. They they appeared in the third edition of the Mayfair game. And Mike didn't realize that. So he got the stats for the, the Reign of Superman characters and put it up on his blog, Fortress of Bailey-Tude. So glad that we can inspire another blog entry. And in that, he gave us a nice shout-out. Appreciate that. He said uh, in his letter he sent to us, despite uh, – sorry, he was, I've always loved the Mayfair DC role-playing game, but only from a standpoint of being a fan of the DC universe. Back in 1989, I found the Superman sourcebook at Walden Books and bought it mainly because it had this awesome John Byrne cover. But after I got it home, I realized that it was a treasure trove of information. It was like who's who, which I was rapidly becoming addicted to. But with these weird stats and figures that didn't make a lick of sense to me. Later, I would cherish that book because it was the only place to have any kind of who's who type entry for the Earth One Superman. But it put me on the road of wanting to check out other source books, like the Justice League International book that had all these great info on the Justice League and how it worked as a team. Man, that Justice League source book was really good. It was. We might have to cover that someday. I love that book. Yeah, maybe, you know what maybe we do? Maybe we do, like, uh, an episode where we cover all the Justice League source books. So we cover, like, the one from here. We cover the one from Mayfair. Maybe that's a way to tackle it. I don't know. Could be. I don't know. Then he goes on to talk about the two Batman source books from Mayfair. It was written by Michael Stackpole, of all people. Whoa! Do you know who Michael Stackpole is? I do. Okay. <laughs> well, he, he worked on a lot of uh, role-playing products that I, I bought really early on. He, like, Grimtooth's traps, things like okay. that. Well, he wrote some of my absolute favorite Star Wars Expanded Universe books. He wrote the X-Wing series of novels, the Rogue Squadron books, and uh, some stuff about Corin Corin Horn. And I got to meet him at Dragon Con. Super nice guy. Really nice guy. I heard from our buddy Kyle Benning. He said, it's too bad they dropped the monitor idea. That would have been a cool concept to tie in with Crisis and leave in the game. We mentioned that last episode where... You know, every game, like D&D, has the Dungeon Master, and this game has the Game Master. Well, at one point, they had thought about calling it the Game Monitor, and it's a shame they dropped that. And I agree with him. I think they shouldn't have dropped that. Uh, we heard from, well, of course we heard from Diablo Frank. Uh, this was, I think, your first brush with uh, Diablo Frank. Is that correct? Uh, yes and no. I mean, he's always taking the mickey, even in comments on, you know, whatever other podcast. Okay. But it's the first time he directly, directly attacked you. So Yes. I like how he makes fun of your accent and everything. Uh, anyway, he goes, My primary memory of early RPGs was spending hours on tedious character building than never having time to play the character. Boy, that, we talked about that earlier. That character generation is the number one killer of role-playing groups. <laughs> then he goes on later. He talked about he worked at a comic shop, and he played Overpower, the, that card game. So he said, I gave up on Overpower and started fiddling with the Mayfair books. I'd bought dirt cheap from our gaming distributor, Chessex, purely as reference material on DC Heroes. The same core Overpower group then took part in a lengthy campaign he game-mastered. Like with early Shag, it was much more of a fantasy side-scrolling fighting game with story elements than role-playing. Uh, but, the, but the guys really got a kick out of their characters, and we had some fun. 
fun. What he's saying is when I first started role-playing, I kind of ham-fistedly pushed my players through the game. I like I had an idea where the story was supposed to go, and I pretty much made sure they ended up there, no matter what they did. What we call railroading. Yes, that was I, and that was my early days when I was like 13. By the time I, you know, by the time I was like 18 or so role-playing, I had really opened up, and I, I'd become a much better role-player, I think. So. Uh, he talks about the times he played, and he had an unfortunate... We, we, we've read this story before on Fire and Water podcast, but never on a Hero Points. He, uh, he had an incident where they someone rolled incredibly high when they were attacking the Rainbow Raider, and they and unfortunately killed him. They even try he even tried as a game master to stop it from happening, like fudging some rolls and adding some cushioning and jumping out a window to catch him. And none of it worked. The dice were totally against him. So I like his last comment here. He goes, "Did they, did he bleed red like the rest of us? <laughs> and how would he know?" Right, exactly. And he says he never used a module for anything but stat reference. I totally understand that. Most of my modules, other than Project Prometheus, I think I only use for reference. I've gone the other way. I, I, I like to use what I buy. Yeah, well, there you go. Good yeah. man. You've got like 18 bookshelves worth, so. Yeah. Uh, we heard from American Hawkman. He says, I actually discovered the Mayfair version after it had been discontinued, but I've been using it for years since. We've had PCs that were, we had, I'm sorry, we've had PCs that were secretly manhunters, ugh, taken on Dark Side on Apocalypse, and had some epic scale adventures. The Mayfair version had its problems. It was not easy, for example, it wasn't easy to build a sorcerer, but I loved it. And then, um, obviously, I'm running a game, or I was running a game 10 months ago, and uh, so my players sort of chimed in and I talked about and I talked about you know how sometimes they were problematic well idiot brigade here or as I call him fern uh, talks about his character in my campaign a, a brick basically there, there's there's one panel in the sinestro core war where there's a brick floating in space uh, like a, a rectangular brick like a like a red building brick okay I didn't know if you and, meant like a brick like a strong guy or, or like a block no. <laughs> right that's no no a block a, okay. a um, and it's got a green lantern symbol on it so it's one of the green lanterns which is just like a lifeless brick and that's what it looks like so that's the character he created for our game where you oh, would funny. be the green lantern called brick br apostrophe k uh, <laughs> and brick is this legendary green lantern of course but, but he can't speak or you know i think the, the ring makes him sentient um, was he cut was, from a piece of mogo maybe uh well it's we're not sure so okay. It's part of the fun, the mystery. Anyways, he plays Brick, which I totally encourage because it would mean Fern would not speak at the table. Uh, <laughs> well, this is an example. He finishes his, his post, uh, his answer to us, with hashtag Firestorm sucks. Nice. Thank you, Idiot Brigade. I like that better than Fern. <laughs> uh, so now, uh, yeah, so he's trolling you. Lovely. Uh, as well. Heard from Bob Buth. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, probably not, though. He says, I first got into role-playing games with villains and vigilantes, an early superhero role-playing game with great character generation system but draggy combat. When DC Heroes came out, we converted all of our PCs to the, uh, the Mayfair system and had a great time with it. As both the GM and the only serious DC fan in the group, I enjoyed sneaking in minor DC villains and heroes that the players didn't recognize. That's very cool. I, I also get a kick out of that. I love throwing in something where you know people don't know that you know in a Star Wars campaign I'm using Hobby from the Rogue Squadron, or in the DC campaign you're using you know I don't know Jack Ryder or something like that. You know, uh, just for your own fun. I sometimes have comics at the table so that they can you know just like show them maybe afterwards who who they interacted with or there you uh, go. I'll show actually I use Who's Who quite a lot. Oh okay. Well you know this is what you know about the character. Slap. Yeah. His name's uh, Mark Merlin. 
And then we, we heard from another of my players, Put. Put is one of my better players. But, um, dang! <laughs> calling people out left and right, aren't you? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trolling you. <laughs> it's going to be another 10 months to get a role-playing group together now. <laughs> so it, uh, he says, he has an, an interesting point in there where he says it, uh, that playing DC Heroes was also the first time delving into mini-session subplots, which forced us to flesh out our characters' individual storylines. It made us into better character writers. Ah. So that That's whole cool. subplot mechanic, yeah. You know, I had a, I had like a ten or fifteen page thing about how to flesh out your characters. That I, I think it came from Star Wars actually. But I used to distribute whenever I started a role playing game. So I'd be like, look, this doesn't apply. You know, the Star Wars stuff doesn't necessarily apply to us, but it gives you an idea on how to flesh out your character, your background. You know, who did you cross in your years? You know, what was your high school years like? You know, things like that. A list so, of questions. There. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've done and, that. Eventually, I typed up my own questionnaire. Like for DC, I had a questionnaire I typed up. Oh god, I was such a goober. Uh, I typed up a, <laughs> I typed up a questionnaire for DC, and I'd hand it out to the players, and it was like, and they'd have to answer the questions. And one of them was like, "Where were you the day Superman died?" You know, it was, nice. it's, it was stuff like that. You know, the kind of stuff that you know would uh, people re- would remember. I heard from Tim Wallace, who's now th- uh, happy to say part of the Firestorm fan family. He's helping write entries on. DC's uh, New 52 Future's End for Firestorm fans, so glad to have him aboard. He wrote to us and said, I think I first played D&D with my cousin when I was 12 or 13. It was a short adventure. He was just learning it, and I never really, uh, I never heard of RPGs, but it occupied the afternoon at my Graham's house. I don't remember any details. I couldn't even tell you what kind of character I played, but it acted as my gateway into role-playing. My mom used to worry about me. I was the only boy in the house with her and her two sisters. I don't think she always knew what to expect or how to deal with me. Anyway, a large part of the reason I got into DC Heroes game was because he she started to worry that D&D had something to do with the devil or making kids go crazy. The Tom Hanks movie Mazes and Monsters probably had a little something to do with that. Superheroes were good and D&D was bad. <laughs> that cracks me up. He wrote some other stuff here and then he goes on to the bottom and says, um, Recent, I'm sorry, okay, so this is timely of when we did the last podcast. He goes, uh, recently I had prepped and scheduled and then pushed up when I saw all the Mayfair tweets, a short post of my own with scans of Blue Beetle and the Night Owl character cards after the dis- discovery. It's almost like synchronicity, all these things happening at the same time. So uh, if you go out to his blog, which is Cord Industries, dedicated to Blue Beetle, you can find, back in September of last year, you'll find uh, the Blue Beetle and Night Owl cards from, what is that, second edition, I think it is? I think so, yeah. That's it. Uh, then we heard from um, my counterpart, uh, <laughs> the guy I'm replacing here, uh, Commander Rob Kelly, and uh, you can tell he's uh, you know he doesn't know that much about RPGs because he refers to RPG games, <laughs> which the G is already games, right? So uh, he's showing his noob status here. Uh, but he says if I if I had any idea how to play an RPG games. <laughs> I'd suggest a Skype-centered fire and water gaming session involving the nuclear subs. And then uh, I said, well, that you know, I've been actually talking about uh, doing an entire game on Skype or, or Google Plus for my readers who can't find groups in their area. I, I often hear you know complaints about that, uh, and I've already been trying. I've already already been including players on Skype for a while. So it could definitely happen, and you really don't need to know how to play, just as it says in the Hero Points theme. Only, <laughs> only the Game Master really needs to understand the rules and interpret for the, the players. And then Diablo Frank, uh, Diablo Frank starts going, I will not get sucked into this, I will not get sucked into this, and goes on for a while. He repeats uh, it over and over and over and yeah, over. I will not get sucked into it's this. It's like a Bart Simpson blackboard kind of thing. And, but that would have been my idea. 
in my head, I was building a scenario where everyone plays their, their fetish character from, from their own blogs. So Shag, you'd play Firestorm, Rob would play Aquaman, Frank would play uh, John Johns, uh, Tim would play Blue Beetle, and so on. How do you build a campaign with, on one hand, you've got Firestorm and John Jones, who are both ridiculously overpowered. They really are, as much as I love the character. And by the way, fetish, that's a weird word to use, but anyway. <laughs> um, and Sorry. John Jones and Firestorm on one side, and then, you know, Ted Cord Blue Beetles, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder with us. Like, how do you build a campaign with villains? In, well, Blue Beetle and, uh, and the Martian Manager were in the same Justice League. Yeah, but that was – there is a huge difference between the way a comic book is written to tell a story and a role-playing adventure and how people react, you know, well, like when you, sure, when you but, a super fight, super But my, my approach to, to superhero gaming is that it really doesn't matter if somebody is way overpowered or, um, you know, I also play the Doctor Who, uh, I also run the Doctor Who role-playing game where the Doctor is massively overpowered compared to companions. So the idea is to make it so character-driven that it doesn't really matter if a character is uh, has much more power than another. So an adventure like this, which would would have to be, you know, over just a couple of hours mm-hmm. for, for it to work as a podcast, that that game would have to be more about social interaction and less about mechanics and rolling dice. So I don't I don't know if it'd be it'd be fun for us to do, but I don't know if it'd be interesting to listen to. Now I know we've I, we've been over this before, and we've had some people write in telling us that there it's really that great. Yeah. Yep. That ghost there's a Ghostbusters group that does a Ghostbusters role playing podcast, and I've listened to it. It's really good. Uh, they put sound effects in there and everything. It's really impressive. But I I just don't I I don't know. Maybe I'm don't have enough faith in my nerdyism. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's up to the game master. So. It's all on you, man. I think I could pull it off. I think I could pull it off. All right. I'm in if we do it. I heard from our buddy Ange. He says, uh, in in college, my friends and I played the DC role-playing game and had a blast. And he goes on here later to say, um, the game was a complete blast for us. And as for you guys, the fun wasn't in rolling dice, and it was more in the role-playing. Our characters' personalities didn't always jibe, and it led to some great interactions. Even after finished playing, uh, when college ended and we separated, we continued to write stories about the team, snail-mailing chapters to each other. How crazy is that? That's crazy. You can tell he's an old dude because he sends snail mail. <laughs> snail mail, yeah. <laughs> I'll piss off everybody by the end of this one. <laughs> Heard from our buddy Luke Giaconetti. He says, I'm a lapsed gamer like Shag, but I, and I never really played uh, superheroes besides a little bit of Immunes and Masterminds, which, by the way, is a pretty good game. But Because I'm inspired to do some more online research on both this game and the Marvel Superheroes game. Maybe I'll run one someday. Yeah, all right. That's a challenge, Luke. Challenge accepted. Make it happen, man. Heard from our buddy Earth2 Chris, who's also part of the Fire and Water Network and does uh, the Power Records episodes. He says, I don't recall what year it was, but I'd say it was 86 or 87. I asked for and received the first edition DC game for Christmas for my parents. I was very excited to open the beautiful box and see all the goodies inside. I was figuring I'd convince two of my comic book friends to play with me. We made the attempt, but they became bored and frustrated with the process. And I don't think we got a single adventure off the ground. Since these were my only friends who shared my comic passions, that was pretty much it. So my DC game sat in its box and I just had to longingly stare at the pretty books, cards, and standees from them. Hmm, that's sad. I did pick up a lot of the source books, two editions of Batman, Justice League, Titans, etc., etc., and I still have them on my bookshelf to this day. As a lover of all things who's who, I found the source books to be a great fount of knowledge on my favorite subjects. So even though I never rolled that funky-sided die, I still have a lot of love for this game. Oh, that's awesome. Now, as I said, we're going to kind of have to... I'm looking at the time here. This is getting really late. Uh, we're going to blow through some of these a little faster. I apologize. We heard from our good buddy Blue Scream. We heard from my buddy David Gutierrez, uh, Dale Russell, 
Well, Escher uh, from the uh, Doctor Who role-playing forums uh, said, that takes me back. Trivia, I was officially the first person in the UK to ever get the boxed edition of DC Heroes even before the stores. Wow. I, yeah, I phoned the Mayfair Games office and Ray Whittinger answered the phone. <laughs> How cool is that? Small outfit. I told him I was going to GM at a games event and I could uh, and if I, I could order it in a rush. Mayfair offered to pay half the shipping costs and I also had a chat with him about the new benchmarks for the upcoming Who's Who in DC Universe source books. I've had a lot of fun with this game over the years, and I'm glad it's still supported over at uh, writeups.org. This is a great game, which deserves the love it still gets. So writeups.org, which we talked about uh, last time, still a nice uh, still a nice resource for lots of characters, and you can find it at writeups.org, funnily enough. It's a uh, <laughs> lots of characters is underselling it. It's an astonishing amount of characters, and not just DC characters. It's no, got Marvel characters. It's got X Files. It's got it's got uh, wrestlers. Yeah, the Bionic Man's in there. I'm sure yeah. you know. So anything you want to put into the Mayfair system, check out writeups.org. And they were actually kind enough to do a post on their blog about our podcast. So that was nice of them over at writeups.org. Wow, we heard from a lot of other people. Zaxophus. We heard from Peter Pizpan. Then on Twitter, I really. We really can't go through all these. I mean, guys, there's a zillion of y'all that are so awesome for giving the shout-outs. We really appreciate it. There are one or two I did want to mention real quick. I do want to say thanks to Michael Everett. He is actually one of the – him and Frank are the two reasons that inspired me to want to be part of this podcast. Michael contacted me a while back, and he's he is a hardcore collector of Mayfair game stuff, like every detail. And uh, it, was just, it was nice to hear from him, and that kind of got me re-energized in this. Heard from a million people on Facebook – Wanted to just give shout-outs to a couple of folks. Let's see, uh, Carlos Mucha, Anthony Durso, Arthur Canning, Alan Middleton, John Godwin, Christopher Warden. Uh, we heard from Hartley Holmberg. He wrote, DC Heroes was and is a fantastic streamlined game. I still have almost all of this. Of course, Champions was the granddaddy of all superhero role-playings, but DC was much easier and faster to play. Or from Doug Zawiza, although most of the art is Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. You're supposed to say that. You're oh, part of the yeah, group that's right. Now. Yeah, well, well, I'm praising him in my heart. One of us. One of us. <laughs> anyway, uh, it appears as though a lot of this art is by Rob Liefeld or J. Scott Campbell, because the car, because the cards, none of the characters have feet or ankles. <laughs> or from Brian Fanning, Abel, uh, Abel Padilla, uh, Christopher Chance, John Heaton wrote us. Oh, I'm sorry, that was yours there. Go ahead. Well, he says, neat, I just, he just saw a guy reading the Mayfair Watchmen source book on the bus the other day. That's so. crazy! <laughs> Somebody's showing his geek flag. Uh, great source book. Uh, it, it reads like a, an extra chapter from uh, from Watchmen. So th- this is the Watchmen stuff is something we might have to cover uh, later on. Yeah, I mean it's it, it was an important part because it was really besides the comic up until you know when the movie came out that was really the only expanded universe Watchmen stuff that was approved by DC Comics and I think Alan Moore even like kind of gave it his blessing didn't he? Yeah, one source book and uh, two um, two adventure modules that take place like in the sixties. Uh, heard from Robert Gross, Zeb Oswald, William Estep. Jason Jones wrote us. He's one of our uh, longtime Fire and Water listeners. He said me and Roy Cleary used to play the heck out of this game with our pals. Uh, and said they almost made a DC Heroes podcast themselves. Uh, Gene Hendricks uh, says basically about, well, he, he was talking about the Gotham City in the box set, but it's the same Gotham City we just covered in the Atlas, uh, that according to the book, he grew up there. 
<laughs> based on the location. Uh, unfortunately, with my body type, he says the only famous Gotham residents that I could uh, that I could be are Harvey Bullock or Oswald Cobblepot. Brilliant. Sigh. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, we heard from Andy Capellish. Andy Capellish has probably been the most vocal listener of this podcast uh, over the last 10 months as far as us getting off our butt and getting this done. So, uh, Andy, this one's, this one goes to you, buddy. Now, he, he sent us a picture of a poster he has, and it's a promotional poster for the Watchmen source book from Mayfair Games. And he says, I stole this from my dad back in the day. It's hung in my place at every place I've lived as an adult. We also heard from a bunch of people on Google+, and insert your own Google Plus joke here, but folks, it's a real social media, believe it or not. We heard again from uh, Gene Hendricks. Uh, he said uh, he has two editions of the book, and he always liked the exponential increases in power. He played it, I'm sorry, but as I played with diehard Marvel guys, I never got to play any of the DC systems. Now, see, that's a crime. Heard from uh, Vincent Florio, La Cueva del Nerd. Dale Russell wrote and said, When I first got the DC RPG, I thought it was a much better game than the Marvel RPG, and we did not know much about the DC universe at the time, so it was wide open without any continuity issues. After playing for a while, we started reading DC comics, and now I'm a DC reader. And a role-playing game created a fan. Look at that. He got turned. Yep. Just to draw a connection with your other podcast, Who's Who. In our group, if there was a conflict between Who's Who and the DC role-playing game, the DC role-playing game was always the highest authority. I think that's really cool. And then finally, uh, last one we'll just read here, came from Dale Russell, and he says, Okay, you win. Today I broke out my old books and made characters. (laughs) We win. You're right, exactly. (laughs) Everybody wins. Everybody wins wins when that happens. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening to the Hero Points podcast. We have had an absolute blast doing this. You will not have to wait ten months for the next episode. I assure you, I'm probably jinxing myself by saying that out loud. You know, so far, we've done two Mayfair books, one first edition Mayfair book, one second edition Mayfair book. I think, Siskoid, next episode, we're probably going to need to do something from either West End Games or Green Ronin. What do you think? I think you're right. I think we've got to cover other systems. Yep. Now, it's not to say we won't come back to Mayfair. And if you didn't play, you know, any, either of those systems doesn't mean it's not still not going to be interesting to listen to. So come check it out. I mean, not that we're interesting, but the content of the book might be interesting. So <laughs> uh, in the meantime, you can find me over at Firestorm Fan, which is firestormfan.com. You can find my Canadian friend here over at Siskoid's blog of geekery, which is siskoid.blogspot.com. And Siskoid is spelled S-I-S-K-O-I-D. You hear that, Jack Bauer? <laughs> uh, he's scratching that on the walls of his cell. So that's siskoi.blogspot.com. You can also find our buddy Rob Kelly over at the aquamanshrine.net. And uh, if you want even more fun, check out um, Mayfair Stavis, which was a crossover we did a few years ago, which has so much content from the Mayfair role-playing game. And I, honestly, I just go through those blog posts every so often just because it's fun. There's like 60 of them across like 20 blogs. And again, be sure to visit uh, writeups.org or you can check out their DC Heroes Yahoo group, uh, which is where a lot of that content comes from. I think that's it, man. Yep. Let's roll. Let's roll.